What starts here changes the world. Well, I've got to admit, I kind of like it. What starts here changes the world. We are the music makers, and we are the dreamers of dreams. The average American will meet 10,000 people in their lifetime. I was handcuffed to another man from another tribe whose language I did not speak. Don't think. Be. But if every one of you changed the lives of just 10 people, and each one of those people changed the lives of another 10 people, and another 10... We did not know each other, and we could not speak to each other, because if we could have spoken to each other, we might have been able to figure out what was happening to us. Every politician who is taking donations from the NRA... I believed them when they said they were sleeping on concrete floors. I believed them. Children being separated from their parents in front of an American flag. I believe them. And you can change the entire population of the world, eight billion people. And if you could have figured out what was happening to us, we might have been able to prevent it. If you think it's hard to change the lives of 10 people, change their lives forever. Well, it didn't happen, and here we are. I believe these women. You're wrong. I feel extremely lucky to, to be here with all of you fighting for justice, for equality, for the right for us to equally exist in this country. There were 329 uprisings, 257 cities within four and a half years. And neither Martin nor Fannie had any control over that. We might be headed to the promised land of speaking the truth and finding our external liberty once we internally liberate ourselves. But their children were saved, and their children's children. Generations were saved by one decision, one person. But changing the world can happen anywhere, and anyone can do it. So what starts here can indeed change the world. But the question is, what will the world look like after you change it? Welcome to Public Access America. Make a stand. I know I did. Thank you very much. And may God bless America. And may God bless America. All right, we're back with Jeffrey after a power outage, thunderstorm, you know, going on in Florida. That's the shit that happens. But, hey, it looks nice out by you. Look at that background. You know, it's nice and cloudy right now um, after a couple of days of heat up in the 90s for here, which is really pretty toasty. Mm. So, um, so you were talking about genetics in in um, plants, plants, horticulture, right? In yeah, it, agriculture, agriculture. And that horticulture, horticulture is uh, think of like ornamental flowers, things like that. That's horticulture. Gotcha. So anything like decorative or for your lawn is horticulture. Agriculture is the things that you consume: wheat, corn, soybeans, things like that. Right. So, what is there a problem with genetically altered fruits and vegetables? So, one of the issues, you know, that I was, you know, the point that I was going to try and make is, is that, you know, whenever you get something new on the market, there's always the, we're not sure what could happen. And, and the thing about mm. science is we're open to admitting that you know, if we don't know if some, what, what the possibilities are, we say that. I mean, we have a pretty educated guess as to what could happen. There's always risks with anything and everything. Now mm. with genetic engineering and you know, Roundup Ready crops, for example, the whole point was to, to get to the point where you didn't need to use as many pesticides. But like anything else, that's not quite the way it works. Mm. So, for example, you have a cold, you take some medicine, it gets better. You have a cold, you take some medicine, it gets better. You have a cold, you don't take all of your medicine, you still get better. But now you've started to leave some potentially resistant bacteria behind. Interesting. So you, so what you've seen in the hospital setting is a rise of superbugs. Um, 
things that are resistant to anti uh, uh, antibiotics to antibiotics to medications and that's really concerning because you know some of those antibiotics are high powered and mm -hmm. they they're hard on your system well the same is true for crops you spray everything you kill all the things that you don't want you're good to go you spray everything you kill all the things you do you don't want you're good to go you spray everything not everything dies mm. uh-oh because the thing about like roundup ready uh plants for example is is that you know it wasn't that you know monsanto went out and was just like we have created this plant that will withstand our chemical the story is actually much more unfortunate um they had a leak and with their glyphosate and they found out that one of the plants that was affected uh, one of the plants that was leaked on didn't get affected by it it didn't kill the plant oh. so there was a plant out there that was naturally resistant to glyphosate so brilliant minds go i wonder if we could do that with crops sure and they did and it was successful now you have two problems number one your expectations of how people use your product are often different than how your product gets used. You think about Instagram, for example. Instagram was supposed to be a gaming platform, but instead people used it to share pictures. Right. So Instagram fundamentally changed, and now it is what we know it as. Right. And people have a hard time believing that it used to be a, like a, a mobile game. <laughs> But the way that people use chemicals, on the other hand, it's not, well, you know, I'll try and use as much as or as little as I can because that should do the trick. It's, well, I want to make sure that it does the trick, so I'm going to use a little more. Yeah. So like anything else, you know, if you don't fully understand, you know, the ramifications of what you're doing, you use a little bit more. Yeah, you might kill your you might kill the things that you don't want. But now the question is what are you doing with that to that potential crop and one of the things that we've seen arise in is glyphosate in our food mm. now here's where it gets here's where it gets tricky glyphosate mm. has a 48 hour time period to become inert okay, okay. so it means that after you spray it 48 hours later it's no longer active okay it's got a quick half-life huh Yes, it does, which is great for what you want. You know, when you look at what DDT was, DDT had a very long half-life. Mm. And so, you know, you'd have, you know, a bunch of, you'd have a bunch of locusts eat DDT and it would kill them. Then you'd have a bunch of birds scoop in and eat the, mm -hmm. the dead crickets. It would kill the birds. And you had a bunch of, you know, cleanup mm -hmm. scavengers come in and eat that and it would kill them. And then you'd have a bunch of other major scavengers and it just never went away. Right. So brilliant idea is you know make sure that you get it out of the you know make it inert as fast as possible but like anything else the more you spray the more likely it is to get you know sucked into the plant because sure. it's a living it's a living breathing organism it's gonna take in water and nutrients and whatever it can through its root yeah. system but you're also spraying the ground Exactly. So when you are introducing more chemicals than necessary, you're introducing a pathway for those chemicals to get into your food. Now, if now I can't speak to whether or not they studied this, you know, in their own settings to see, you know, if part of the recommendation was you use this much, it doesn't get into the food system. Uh, yeah. But 
but what we do know now is, is that it is in the food system and regular Cheerios are the biggest offender with having the most glyphosate. I did there's not a great, know that. There's a great piece out there that shows you uh, what foods have the most glyphosate in them. Now, does that mean that genetically modified crops are evil and they're going to start walking down the produce aisle to come get you? I mean, the <laughs> Frankenfoods thing has been the biggest scare for most people for a lot of years. Hmm. And the reality is, is that no, you know, th that's not how any of this works. It, kind of what we talked about before, if, when you have a lack of understanding of the process and the pieces that go into making something, it's easy for people to jump to conclusions. Oh, well, you know, for example, uh, well, tomatoes, they, they genetically engineered these, these uh, tomatoes to have fish genes in them. So now they can breathe under. No, that's not how it works. They genetically engineered. I guess, don't they? They really do. And, you know, it, it's, it shows your unfortunate lack of knowledge in a particular area. Like, yeah, they spliced the genetics of a fish in with, with a tomato in a research lab. And you know what it did? It actually made them hardier to cold weather. So now nice. you could potentially grow tomatoes in more northern climates. It opens up the possibility for greater food access to places where it's already really thin. Sure. Uh, Russia, Russia apparently wants to be the tomato king of, of the world. They want to grow the hardiest. They've, they've engineered a tomato that's supposed to be so hardy that the whole world is going to want it. Mm -hmm. and, and that's, you know, that's a great idea, you know you've seen that you see that whether through genetic engineering or through selective breeding for example there are there are wheat crops out there that are more drought resistant there are wheat crops out there that are resistant to stem sawfly so like everybody thinks oh well wheat is wheat well you know i i know for a fact that on our family farm we planted six different varieties of wheat yeah some some of that wheat was thick stemmed so it didn't have the hollow stem, and that was meant to prevent stem sawfly. Hmm. Uh, some of it was meant to grow in more arid climates, so you could actually get a better crop or a better protein content out of your wheat. Because part of selling your wheat is you have to have a good protein content within it. The, the lower your protein content, you know, the more likely it is to end up as, you know, livestock feed. Right. So you do that in separate areas so that you can monitor. Because you also, everything is tested in that way. The water that you use, how much water, it's, it's all, when you're farming, it's all a test. There's no perfection, right? No, you know, that's, 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 I mean, yes and no. I mean, you've got mother nature and mother nature is always going to make sure that you don't have perfection. Right. But, but by understanding, you know, what your crop grows best in mm. and going in and testing your soil you can actually find out what you need to do to improve your soils in order to make your crops grow the best that they can. And then, you know, the rest is up to mother nature, whether she gives you enough rain or too much rain, whether you get a tornado and a hailstorm, or you just get beat down with the sun and get a heat wave. And, mm. you know, when you're where I lived, we were, we were dry land farmers, so we didn't irrigate at all. And and we're at Mother Nature's beck and call. So sure. when we when we have good weather and good years, awesome. But where we had a ten year drought, those were some yeah. lean years on the farm. And you you probably relied more on a farmer's al almanac or studies from 
the, the science of ag- agriculture departments. You know what I mean? You're you're leaning more on science in those situations than somebody that can overcome with, you know, more water, more irrigation, more I would resources. Say, I would say we are now. Um, then, not so much. It was still very much, you know, what we called the farmer's dilemma. Of, you know, when the prices are good, grow more crop. When the prices are bad, grow more crop. When the weather's good, grow more crop. When the weather's bad, grow more crop. Right. You know, there wasn't really this idea that you could use science to improve what you had. And it was really, you know, and, and really it was with older farmers who, you know, you just done things a certain way, you know, because my granddaddy did it that way. And with the younger generation, like, you know, in my case, I was 15 when I really was starting to learn about, you know, what all you could do. Right. It's when I started turning, you know, us more towards the science aspect. And my uncle, he had studied, you know, some of the, the ag sciences um, in college. And so really, you start to see that change from, you know, the conventional methods that we had used on the farm for probably 50 years to, you know, now we're no-till, we, you know, use, you know, very targeted fertilizers, GPS to track and coordinate everything, you know, and by leaning on science, as well as, you know, some of that old intuition, Mm. actually done really well and it's you know farming's not so much of a hobby as it once was you know because the difference between a job and a hobby is is a hobby costs you money right the job pays you back yeah (laughs) and so now it's now it really became a job and there's there's something beautiful about saying that what you do feeds people yeah and and you know whether whether you have you know the small farm that you know you show up at the farmer's market and sell a few things here and there, or you're a large producer, you know, you're still feeding people regardless. You can always attack the method, but, you know, in the end, there are people that aren't going hungry because they're trying to do bigger and better. Right. I love that. Now, some, like, I get apples and they last two months now, but they didn't Mm -hmm. used to do that. But now, but people are saying organic is better. But I don't really see the difference between it, uh, a modified apple or a non-modified apple. I, it tastes the same to me. But is is am I going to die? No, no. And 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 that's where people really got confused. Is is that oh, if by eating a you know this genetically modified organism because I'm ingesting these genetics, I'm going to put myself in some sort of harm. And, that's that's you know if you know anything about food that's not the way it works either it's it's not about the genetics it's about what chemicals are within your food and that's where and that's where the that's where the issue is is that when you don't understand enough about how the science works it's easy for you to blame this this thing that you know has changed right and so the reality is is that no it's not the genetics that are that are potentially dangerous it's the fact that there's a bunch of chemicals that are being used probably improperly and those chemicals are leaching into your food mm. and really then what the issue is is that you've got to go back to the farmers somehow and say look you know we're testing this we're seeing way too high levels of glyphosate or or whatever chemical you might be using and basically you know you just have to reduce 
you'll have to reduce what you're willing to pay them for that particular crop. Mm-hmm. And that's that's just that's going to be something that changes over time and pressures from you know various industries. Um, I mean, you could always make the argument that you could try and legislate it now and try to make it better now, but I'm one of those people that you know, the free market tends to pressure people to do things better and faster mm-hmm. than than the state legislating it does. Than regulations and red tape. Now that said, there are times for for regulations and red tape. There absolutely are, and you know, if if it were to come to pass that people were actually dying because of the chemical concentrates within the food, then I would fully expect you know states and feds to act very quickly to shut that down, and they do. But more often than not what you see why you've seen the rise in organics lately is not because you not you know not necessarily because it's better in fact in a lot of cases organic growing things organically leaves a higher carbon footprint um you get reduced crop yields so therefore it's more expensive right but you've seen people willing to pay that price for that particular grow and I think that's great. I think that people have the right to put, make that decision of what goes into their body. And by demanding some people, you know, grow organic produce and, and organic meats and, you know, forego some things, I absolutely support because free market. And mm-hmm. your choice. And yeah, you know, somebody wants to go eat a GE, you know, a genetically engineered cheeseburger, by all means. Somebody wants a grass-fed cheeseburger that has no hormones added, go eat a grass-fed cheeseburger. It's, you know, it, it just all lends to understanding the science behind the two. Sure. And that the reality is, is that it's not the food itself that'll kill you. It's what is still in the food. And you have to you have to be willing to put that pressure on on producers to change practices so that way it is more sustainable, so that way it is healthier. Now your question about the the tastes and the nutrients, there is actually some difference. Um, and it honestly it, it varies widely from from crop to crop. So, for example, if you've ever grown tomatoes in your garden versus growing, tem- you know, going to the grocery store and getting tomatoes, yeah. you do notice that there is a taste difference. Right. And, and, you know, once again, it all is what are your plants growing in? Soils are going to give you different tastes because there are different nutrients in them. And, and that's simple soil science is what that is. Yeah, I wanted to ask about that because I've heard that we're actually losing nutrients from the earth, that the earth doesn't have as many nutrients as it once did. And so our vegetables and fruits are, they're less nutrients. And so we have to eat more to get the nutrient. This is an Alex Jones theory, by the way. It's a conspiracy theory. And I'm just going to debunk it right now. Right now. Live. Right now. No, that is, the, the thing about the thing about things like that is there's always a kernel of truth in, in every conspiracy theory. And in some cases, yes, you are seeing a reduced nutrient content. But what that means is, is that, you know, those scientists are going, either going back to the drawing board and saying, okay, we need to do this better, or, you know, we need to understand what kind of soil our crop needs to grow in, in order to get the right amount of nutrients. Because you could grow it, you could, let's say that you grow the same genetically engineered crop, 
but you put it on two different plots of soil. One plot of soil has the correct amount of nutrients that you would expect for that plant to grow in. The other one has been farmed nonstop for the last 20 years and is depleted. You're going to expect to see a difference, bottom line, which is why a lot of farmers got into rotational cropping. Right. So even we do that. So for example, we'll grow our crops, like we'll grow spring wheat on a plot of land for a couple of years, and then we'll switch over to, let's say, a different crop like uh, garbanzo beans because they're a nitrogen fixer. That organic matter plus the nitrogen fixing allows you to replenish the soil. Mm, Some people, yep, there, there are ways to replenish. It's if you continuously crop a soil, you're going to see a reduced nutrient content. That's basic science. But out of the 100 nutrients, you're saying one crop could deplete 70 of them, or one mm -hmm. crop could add 20 but take away 30. And it's all about balance. It is all about finding the right balance. It is all about bringing in what you need and changing things. Sometimes you got to let the soil rest. Sometimes by switching up your crops, you find that you grow better things. And one of the things that we're finding, like with industrial hemp, for example, is it's a natural soil repairer. Interesting. So um, I've got a couple of friends who are new to industrial hemp back home that are trying it out. And I'm interested to see how that goes for them. Um, just because number one, with industrial hemp, there's any number of things you can do from clothing to paper to oils to whatever, right. completely legal. And number two, if that means that there's now a new crop that people could grow and that there's a way that you could introduce, you know, something that helps repair the soil, but still is at a price point that, you know, is beneficial to the farmer, right. you're going to find that you're ha you'll have a healthier crop mix that will lend to a, a less likelihood that you see nutrients deplete within your crops. Yeah. So, I mean, there, part of it is true. Like, you know, for example, if the plant only can pull in so many nutrients, but it had, you know, now instead of the tomato being, let's say, you know, three inches in diameter, now it's five inches in diameter. What, how is it growing that big? What is, what is causing it to grow that big? That's my question. If, if the answer is, is that you're just having it pull in more water content, which is a lot of the times what you're seeing, right. is it's just pulling in more water content. It's not that, you know, you're eating, you're eating the same fruit. It's just that when it was smaller, the nutrients were more densely packed. Right. So now, the question is, is can you get that nutrient pack as dense? And there you have to go to one of two places. You either have to, you know, see if there's something within your genetic coding that is incorrect, or you need to go to the soil and see if there's actually enough nutrients within that soil for that plant to pull. Or if it's worth adding a, a fertilizer or something that can add. Exactly. Nutrients. Exactly. And so, you know, by embracing soil sciences within agriculture, you're starting to find that people are able to figure out what that sweet spot is. And by, you know, selectively cropping and changing practices, you don't have your soil depleting as faster. Your soil quality is actually improving in a lot of cases, meaning that your crop quality is improving in a lot of cases. Yeah. So it's, you know, there are, there's definitely 
and importance in understanding the science of it, but I don't expect most people to go out and try and read up on this kind of stuff because let's face it, you know, some of it is, you know, even over my head and it's, I, I can understand, you know, most of it for the most part, but mm-hmm. you know, how they, how they've come to understand, you know, the genome is where I get lost. Right. And that's just because I never spent any time sitting down and trying to understand it. I just know that there are certain genes that they can manipulate and that they do manipulate in order to create these crops, you know, so to, cool. to make these crops robust. And it is awesome because you're seeing that you are going to see positive effects in different parts of the world. For example, vitamin, vitamin K rice is going to be a, 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 a big one. They call it golden rice. In you Africa, know, right? Um, Asia. That, okay. Asia. They're growing something in Africa. That's like the hardiest, hardiest grain ever. You know what I mean? One of the interesting ones to me, um, if you've ever looked at breadfruit. Oh, that's disgusting, isn't it? No, it's actually really good. Breadfruit? Oh, I heard it was just so bad. It just smelled bad or something. I, I, I think it all depends on how you cook it. Okay. Um, but what there, you know, there's a lot of thought there that that could be the crop that helps feed a, a major population. That's cool. You know, and and like with vitamin K rice, you know, take you know taking the genetics of rice, figuring out how you can make it richer in vitamin K, so that way, you know, in Asia ocular myopathy i think is what it's called uh is actually a major problem because of a lack of vitamin k Hmm. and so by having your crop now produce a higher amount of vitamin k you're now going to save a substantial amount of the population from going blind from their only food source or one of the few food sources they have um there was there's been the idea that with bananas you'd be able to embed you know vaccines within bananas by understanding so the programming cool. of bananas and so now you know now where you have kids that are allergic to eggs and other things within vaccines you now have another methodology of delivering a vaccine or growing a vaccine for places that really need it i mean some of it is i i wouldn't necessarily call it science fiction as much as i call it science future yeah yeah it it can happen eventually it's gonna take a while to get there and you know, a bunch of people had this great idea, you know, reading back in 2003, 2004, that, you know, we were going to have vaccine bananas by, you know, the end of the 2000, you know, the, the aught eras. Yeah. It's, you know, this, there's more to it than, than we originally thought. And that's well, all we right. Lo- we lost a whole, whole class of banana, right? There used to be these delicious bananas and now, now we're stuck on these gross bananas, I think they're called. Yeah, so I, the ma the the uh, banana we have right now is called the Cavendish, and I forget what the previous model uh, the previous uh, one was, but there's a soil fungus that wiped them all out, and mm-hmm. now the Cavendish actually has um, a fungus that's affecting it, and it's moving slowly. Mm-hmm. So, so you could find that bananas become scarce unless there's another variety out there that is resistant to the fungus, or we genetically modify banana plants to fight off this fungus, which we can do. We just have to understand how, and that's, and that's really important. You know, sometimes, you know, when your choices lose an entire food source that feeds millions upon millions, billions of people or genetically engineer in hopes of saving that, I, I would like to think that people would err on the side of, you know, 
save that food source because you never know what could happen. Or even if they could, even if there were seeds for, you know, the old variety of bananas, if they could figure out how to genetically engineer those and bring that variety back. Yeah. There's a, there's a storage in, in one of the. Uh, Svalbard in Norway, the, yeah, the yeah, seed vault. Yeah. Yeah. Clear up north in the Svalbards, uh, clear up north of Norway. Isn't that cool? I love that. Oh, it's amazing. And what's even more incredible when you think about it is, is that there were seeds to, I think it was called the Judea date palm mm. that they found in a Roman shipwreck. They took those, it was still sealed. They still had the seeds. They took, they took some out and I think a couple of them actually sprouted. They'd been lost to the bottom of the sea for a thousand, you know, a few thousand years. Right. And suddenly this, this plant that had been extinct is now growing again. So to me, there's always hope that there are things that we can bring back, especially in the plant realm because mother nature's hardy as hell. Oh yeah. I love that. We just need to find out where it can grow, what we can grow, where we can grow it. I think of places that are arid like Africa that are desperate for food, you know, the um, Northern Africa, uh, Eastern Africa, where it's just so hard to grow anything and the droughts are so long. If we could find hardy things that they can start creating and selling and creating a market for, I think of coffee, you know, like Taiwan is suddenly making coffee and it's, mm. And African coffee, you know, isn't the greatest coffee, of course. And there's other coffee. What is it? The Arabica, you know? And there's yeah, you've got the, yeah, you've got a couple of different varieties there. Right. And so I just think that's so interesting that that they can they can do these, these this thing and create markets in countries that they had famine in. You know what I mean? Well, there's a really interesting book out there called Food for Peace. And it was, a, it was a strategy that MacArthur had used. The idea was is that a population that's well-fed is less likely to fall, into, uh, fall under an insurrection. Hmm. And really, you know, here you have a couple of different issues at hand. Number one, when there's a lack of opportunity in jobs, people can't eat. And number right. two, when there's a lack of food, people can't eat. So in some of these developing nations, you almost have to go for a crude level of economy where – you know, yes, it's a lot of manual labor, but when you're putting people to work growing food and that food is now feeding, you know, these starving nations, yeah. you find yourself in a, in a much better scenario. And of course that doesn't, you know, necessarily translate when you have dictators and tyrants that, you know, hoard all of that stuff for themselves and let right. the people starve. But because these, it is a form of control. Absolutely. You know, you, you know, people will do what they can to make sure they get their next meal. And if that means that they've got to turn on their neighbor, they'll do it. Of course. And, 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 you know, kind of drifting along that lines, it's, that's why you see, you know, the sale of illicit drugs in, in economies the world over, you know, when people need to eat, they're going to do what they've got to do to put food on the table for themselves or their families. Right. And, you know, this is one of those things where I think you're seeing some of that play out, at least here in the States where, you know, with marijuana being legalized, it has affected the cartels, all of these businesses that popped up overnight, mm -hmm. 
you know, now you have a tax revenue source. You have people that are earning money, you know, legally, if only the feds would really get on board. So that way this, you know, could be even better yet. Right. You know, it's one of those things where it's like legalize it and tax it at the state and federal level. Just yeah. it's, it's either that or money keeps going to the cartels. Take your pick. Yeah. And I believe that in freedom of choice, I believe that if I want to take heroin, you, you can't stop me from taking heroin. It's my life. And if I'm not hurting anybody, I should be able to have marijuana is so less destructive. <laughs> I, I tell, I, I tell the joke of marijuana is actually very destructive, whether you realize it or not. And mm. I had one person gasp and say, how could you say that? I said, well, you know, you give me a good joint and then put me around a box of Girl Scout cookies and you're going to see a box of Girl Scout cookies get destroyed. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, I, I would argue that marijuana is less destructive than alcohol. Oh, definitely. You know, having grown up in, uh, with, a, with a father who's an alcoholic and, you know, knowing, you know, having learned what we have about marijuana and the more that we do know, you know, the medicinal side of it is real. Mm. You know, <laughs> the, yeah. the, there's science there. Like, for example, there's, they're showing that by, you know, smoking um, certain, I think it's THC content, like people that have had broken bones and are smoking when they heal, their, their heal, their healing is actually about eight times stronger than what it has done naturally so there's some healing properties there that i know it prevents seizures in in epilepsy i know i had a friend whose daughter just she went from 176 seizures a day to two a week yeah you know she was like five years old and they were just giving her that and i thought that was just incredible you know I know that we've got some family where one, uh, like an uncle has tremors and, and CBD has been used to treat his tremors. And then I think a cousin has epilepsy and they've used that for, for treatment of epilepsy. And I know I had a friend who, um, who managed to screw up and shoot himself in the leg on accident. Mm. He was on opioids and it absolutely just wrecked him, wrecked his life and his friendships. Um, and switched over to, to marijuana and got his green card and he was better able to manage the pain and, and better able to get out of it. People that have been addicted to opioids for, for years when allowed to go to marijuana, you're seeing, you're seeing a lot fewer opioid over overdoses. Um, And pharmaceutical companies are making a lot less money. And that's and and therein lies the rub, and you're seeing that play out right now through all the lawsuits. And and quite frankly, you know, when you know the dangers and you push it like it's supposed to be ibuprofen or candy, mm-hmm. then you know what? I don't feel bad for you. No. Like boohoo. Yeah, you made your money. It's time to pay it back. You screwed up. And I told I told my niece once. I said, if there's a hundred drugs out there. 99 of them might just be party drugs for you, but one of them will destroy your life. And so if you ever, if you're ever in a crack house and you find yourself with a bag over your head being dragged out and your boyfriend being shot, that's your uncle saving your life. You know what I mean? Right, right. You know, and, and that's the thing is, is that even, you know, with anything, regardless, you know, knowing yourself and Mm -hmm. who you are, for example, I, I do love myself a good beer, mm. but I, I also know that 
I have been through enough stuff and, and have been down that road of I'm drinking half a handle a night so that way I, I sleep and right. don't think about all the things that are going on up here. It's not healthy. No. And there is no geographical cure to yourself. That's right. And understanding what you, who you are and what your habits are and how you break them. You, you know, if moving helps you break habits, that's really what it is. It's not that, you know, it's not that where you went was the cure. It's that you got out of your routine. Yeah. It, it's all about routine. I like to, I, the smoking yep. is the habit of smoking, not as much the smoking. It's the mm -hmm. having it. You know, for some people, they can do that with a water water pen, or mm -hmm. they they switch to vaping, thinking thinking that that's healthier. That that gave me heart palpitations and put me in the hospital. So, it's it all depends on who it is and how Absolutely. what your body can take. I I can't do cocaine, but I had, <laughs> I had a friend that could do cocaine like I smoked marijuana. You know what I mean? And right, it, right. It amazed me that he was just sober after doing that, but I just I couldn't. I wanted more. You know, there was a, there was a guy I knew in college that like, he was so permafried that like, I don't know how this guy functioned, but he would smoke a joint and this guy could do some of the most advanced mathematical calculations, <laughs> just like it was, like it was nothing. And I'm like, how do you function, man? Right. Isn't that cool though? It's, it's crazy. But at the same time, it's like, you know, like anything else, you know, for example, we're, we're starting to understand why people who've smoked a lot of weed are permafrieds. And it turns out that. Um, one of the THC variants does eat holes in the brain. Mm. It's like we've all known that that some people just become permafried from smoking too much weed. Well, now we know why. So now here's where the agriculture comes in again. Now breeders can selectively try to breed out that particular strain of THC, mm. and you know you now create a safer product. And that happens with legalization. If you, yes, there, I mean. They're putting mercury in the weed down south just so it weighs heavier. You know, they're yeah. pack, they're, the way they're packing it is dangerous. The way they're storing it for transportation is dangerous. And it, it creates a mold in there. And that mold can hurt you. And, and, and if they spray it with any sort of insecticides, the right. insecticides that you're going to that you're going to smoke or it's going to hurt you and kill you. And, and that's, you know, and, and, and that's why I can also see why, you know, for example, people have gone towards a more organic trend. You don't have to worry about those chemicals in there because they're not used. Right. But at the same time, like I said, you know, the trade-off is usually your carbon footprint is higher. Usually the amount you're able to produce is lower. Right. But it also it's, gives more people jobs. It's, and, and that's really just, you know, it's about finding the trade-off that works for you and the people around you. You know, sure. one of the biggest issues that people are going to have to recognize at some point is that we've only got so much land to grow crops on. And mm -hmm. as we spread out, cropland disappears. Right. Production land disappears. So you're going to have to start to see where people are willing to reckon with a couple, a couple of things. Number one, we're either going to have to genetically engineer even more to grow more crops on less land or number two, we've got to come up with 3d solutions for growing crops and housing people. You know, we always think about 2d going North, South, East, West spreading out, right, but right. 3d is high rises, oh, apartment buildings, things like that. Same with, same with agriculture, you know, 
you got to think you get, might have to start thinking about 3D. Is it possible to grow certain crops underground? Or, you know, transition so that way certain crops are grown within buildings upon multiple levels. So you're sure. getting adequate sunlight. You know, there you've got the issue of hydroponics and all of that fun stuff. But, you know, starting to find out what your thresholds are and how you change is going to be key to sustaining the population as we move along within uh, within the timeline. Because we're not going to limit our population. There's there's so there's some great theories out there uh, about natural limitations of populations based on access to food, water, shelter, all of that other stuff. I th if I remember correctly, I think we're currently expecting like the 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 population to level out somewhere around nine billion, mm -hmm. unless something drastically changes with food availability. Okay. Because at, at that point, you're going to see resources become scarce enough to where it's harder to sustain life. Yeah. Now you could, you could say that things like coronavirus are, you know, mother nature's way of limiting populations. Um, not effectively, but the, the reality is, is, is that, you know, like most animals, our populations are limited by food sources available. And sure. once you reach that limitation, you know, you start to see either A, fighting for food, or B, uh, populations dying off due to scarcity. You know, we see that all the time with, you know, for example, I grew up deer hunting. There would be years where the deer would be so abundant because the natural predators out there were low right. that they would do what they call damage hunts. So basically, there's too many animals. They're going to get sick and die. Uh, blue tongue is very common among deer, mm. and it is a hell of a way to go. Imagine your tongue swelling up and suffocating you. That's basically mm. what happens. Mm. Yeah, and so and and you can't eat that meat, so that meat is completely gone to waste. So basically, what they do is they'll issue they would issue licenses for damage hunts. So you know instead of your buck and doe that you could get every year sometimes you could get a buck and two does or you could get two bucks in a doe or one year i was able to get two bucks and three does because the population was so out of control i think what's interesting is people are starting to look at at bugs as a protein source they're trying to make foods out of beetles and I, there were some beetle crackers i saw beetle chips <laughs> <laughs> Well, and, and, and people are people are looking to different food sources. They normally they, they normally wouldn't like, for example, seaweed is becoming a much bigger thing. Like, you know, for example, my my sister here gets seaweed chips all the time. You know, um, to me, like food diversification is great, um, especially if we can find foods that are easier and hardier to grow that are nutritionally sufficient mm. and that's really the key is you know how do we how do we make this happen how is this possible and once again you're just going to have to you're going to have to lean on science in order to figure out the answers to some right. of these questions like and what i think is america amazing in america is that say we'll eat we'll eat parts of the cow but other parts of the cow we we won't eat but other mm -hmm. cultures like chickens we send our chicken feet to China, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? And China screwed us by saying, no, we're not going to take your chicken feet anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yep. 
yep, absolutely. It's it, it's it's interesting, you know, because you've got a bunch of different you've got a bunch of different issues at hand there. You know, for example, if you look at you know food safety, um, you look at religions, uh, religion needs. You know, whether it's halal or kosher, right. um, there are significant parts of the animal that either get wasted or you know get turned into food for other animals for example um there are food sources that you know uh, that are available in other countries that aren't here like for example i don't know of any american that would find eating horse reasonable me included right but in other countries eating horse is very much a part of the uh, the menu right frogs is another one (laughs) my filipino wife gave me a bowl of uh beef blood and rice and she's mm-hmm. like, let me know what you think. And I was like, it's delicious. <laughs> what else are you going to say as your mother-in-law is watching you eat it, you know? Right. I also tell people, too, when it comes to food, don't don't have them tell you what's in it. Just try it. And if you like it, <laughs> enjoy your ignorance. Right. Because because the reality is, is that there are things that you'll eat and you'll be like, this is absolutely delicious. Oh, you're eating liver. Right. I mean, I'm guilty of it, too. I had a, a friend that worked at uh, the Cheeto plant. And he mm-hmm. had to go inside and scrape the cheese off the tumblers. And he said, you wouldn't believe how many maggots are in that cheese, you know? Mm-hmm. So I haven't eaten Cheetos since. Well, I mean, I kind of went on a Cheeto diet after uh, November of 2016. <laughs> but, uh, no, it's, well, and, and even now you're starting to see, you know, you're starting to see, changes in the way that you know we eat junk food so like for example the cheeto alternative what they call them hip peas and it's you know basically puffed chickpeas that they coat with you know that they coat with any number of things that's fantastic i think you know you know garbanzo beans are great they're a great food that have a lot of nutritional content beans in general yeah finding a new way to use them and there's also some old things too that you know i think people need to really think about reintroducing into their diet lentils for example you know, I never grew up really having lentils. It wasn't until I was an adult that I actually had lentils in, right. in you know, really anything where it was like a main dish. And it was a German dish called uh, Lenzen and Spätzle. And so it was strange, but yeah. it was absolutely delicious. I enjoyed it a lot. And it was like, well, why did I never grow up with foods like this? And it's just, you know, part of it is access. Part of it is just... Yeah. You know, we get used to some things that are uh, not the greatest. Right. I think we just get stuck in our, I mean, we get stuck in our habits. I know when I had to go shopping and I only had like 10 bucks, I saw bags of beans for 99 cents. And I was like, I can get five bags of beans. I just made beans, you know what I mean? And I learned to like beans. <laughs> right. Well, and, and there's been a there's been a couple of threads like on Reddit where someone posts, hey, I've got 20 bucks to get me to the end of the week and I'm starving. What can I do? Right. And buying bulk lentils, beans, rice, you yep. get yourself some, you know, like, for example, you can get yourself, you know, a jumbo pack of chicken breasts for, you yep. know, five bucks. You do beans, rice, lentils, and magically you've got yourself breakfast, lunch, and dinner in, in a bunch of different ways. It's not, you know, there, are, and, and on top of that, it's nutritionally sound. Oh, yeah. We did kind of like this Mexican-inspired casserole where it was brown rice and lentils and black beans and 
uh, salsa and chicken mm-hmm. breasts and you, uh, bell peppers and onions and you just put it in the pressure cooker for like an hour yep. and when it was done it was this awesome dip that you could eat with chips and sour cream and cheese yeah. and the entire meal that would then feed us for like three or four days cost like five bucks total right and so it was like out of it wasn't like we were doing this out of financial necessity we were just kind of like well let's just come up with some quick easy options right and we're kind of of that mindset that quick and easy doesn't mean nutritionally great we're so used to our our mcdonald's and our taco bell and i'm guilty of it too and we don't know what's in that food you know what i'm you know what i'm saying ocelot and sphincter Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, but but the idea that you can make a nutritionally sound meal that has all of your food groups mm-hmm. and fast doesn't necessarily compute. When we think of healthy healthier foods and eating, we think of, well, it's going to take us a couple hours to prep. Sure. But with you know things like you know the instant pot pressure cooker now and air fryers now. You know, there are ways to eat some of your staples that you've had for a long time and do it faster Sure. and, yeah, arguably healthier. I make split pea soup. I put it in the freezer. And then when I, when I just don't feel like cooking, I just pull something out of the freezer. And I, I, you know what I mean? And it's quick for me. It takes six minutes. It's thawed. I'm eating. You know what I mean? We did that. We, we made some Irish pasties where, you know, they're, they're sealed and in the deep freeze and, you know, whenever someone needs something quick, it's pull it out, cut it open, put it in the microwave, you know, on mm-hmm. half power for 10 minutes and, you know, voila, you've got, you know, self-contained meal. And you know what, to, you know what it went into it. And exactly the price point is just the price point for split pea soup for a, for a portion was like 50 cents for me. You right. know what I mean? Uh, one of those hams was the biggest cost. <laughs> right. <laughs> Right. And, 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 and that's, and that's really just it. You know, the ground beef was the biggest cost because I, you know, I bought, you know, 10 pounds worth of flour for three bucks and I made the dough from scratch. And then, you know, the frozen vegetables were a more, you know, a buck a piece for each of the bags that we just dumped in there. And so, you know, there were three bags of vegetables and then, you know, throw in, you know, a a large onion that might've cost you 60 cents and, you know, voila, you know, you end up with, 15 pasties and each one of those pasties may have only cost you 75 you know not even like you know actually probably more like 40 cents piece right. to me and if you want food you go ahead and add some flour water yeast and sugar <laughs> you're gonna have just this this dough that just rises somebody asked me i was on a podcast and she's like well what's your favorite recipe and i was like dough i'm into dough because you can make pizza dough i can make mm-hmm. calzones i can make buns i can make i can make I can make anything out of dough, you know. I can make pretzels out of dough. You know? Right. For me, the biggest thing has been uh, I need to actually get into more gluten-free baking. Um, I was going to ask you about that. If you're if you don't have celiac, is it still okay to eat gluten-free? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I I have switched to a lot of gluten-free stuff simply because it has become more of a household requirement. Okay. Um, with with one person needing no gluten and another person being told that they have to eat more ancient grains right so naturally that leans you towards gluten-free 
um, as, uh, as much as possible. And honestly, um, it's, it's a learning curve. You know, there are some oh, things sure. that there's some things it's like, man, this just doesn't taste the same. No, it doesn't. It, right. it, and, and for me, like the biggest one is I'm lactose intolerant Ooh. and it's milk, anything. It is absolutely horrible. I miss real ice cream. That said, uh, there's a coconut cookie dough flavored ice cream that is gluten free yeah. as well as lactose free. And it is something that I have come to really enjoy. And I actually like the taste of it too. Yeah. You know, broadening, broadening what you eat is a good thing. Yeah. But people don't do get me wrong. Ne- they do it out of necessity, not out of experimentation. Well, I mean, there's people that do it out of, you know, some sort of moral reasoning, you know, and I always, I always like to give vegans shit just because, you know, I've been preached to several times and I, and I look at them and go, I, I don't preach to you about my Lord and Savior, the, the steak. Right. You know, the, the reality is, is that it's America. You want to you want to eat vegan? Go for it. F- freedom of choice, man. Right. I, I don't care. I have found some vegan foods that I actually really like, which is great yeah, because, man. because, you know, as a kid it's like meat, 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 meat. Now I'm getting older and it's like, you know, there's some nights where I really just need to like reduce the amount of meat I'm having and actually do something yeah. a little bit lighter. Like we did, like I did a sandwich wrap. I've done salads, Damn. you know, and the more, the more foods that I find that are actually widely available in in different markets the better off it is my sister actually replaced bread with lettuce she would make lettuce wraps with everything and i thought that was just amazing and so we would go to like jimmy john's and she's like what do you want and i said whatever you're getting and she would be like well i'll I'll take uh the lettuce wrap are you sure you want that and i was like yeah those are really good you know yeah i think people get set in their ways so much that they're not even willing to try it hi debbie well (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jason says hi. <laughs> um, you know, people do get set in their ways, but also, you know, what people don't realize is that your body changes. I recently right. hit the heaviest that I have ever been, and I wasn't feeling very good about that. And mm. and it's you know that realization of I'm not 23 anymore. I can't just go down a supersized Coke and a giant cheeseburger and the largest fries available and follow it up with two apple pies. Mm. That just isn't how, that just isn't how it works anymore. You know, I've got to actually, you know, eat accordingly to what I'm doing. I'm more sedentary right now. I don't need to be consuming a half of a pizza. Right. (laughs) Two slices or three is fine. Yeah, my doctor tells me I need more fiber, and I say, I think I just need more exercise. I haven't left the apartment in, like, two months. <laughs> fiber is important, too. I mean, yeah, you know, I haven't I'm really... A, if I'm eating a buttload of beans, I'm getting fiber. I'm just not yeah. moving enough for my colon to start actually moving, you know? Well, yeah, well, and, and you're not moving enough to, to make those en- energy stores deplete. And, right. you know, so for me, it has been uh, an issue of, changing you know how i eat so that way i'm consuming fewer calories yes but there's still a very plentiful amount of nutrition and variety 
and mm-hmm. and to keep myself sane there is still some fast food in there but instead of getting you know going to mcdonald's and getting the biggest cheeseburgers that i can get now it's like i look at the dollar menu and go you know if i get two of those i'm paying less number one right i'm getting just as full number two but i'm consuming fewer calories number three right i like to eat a reasonable giant dinner but i need a, a i need something sweet but i don't need like you said, I don't need to eat two apple pies. I can, I just made some peanut butter cups by melting chocolate and putting mm-hmm. the, you know, and I thought, these are awesome. You know, they're better than Reese's cups and they're probably better for me because there's no chemicals in there to make it last longer. You know, I think I don't, the preservatives are a big one, but I think most really, uh, most of the issue there is like palm oil tends to be their, their preserving agent and their, and that, you know, in, in the environmental side of things is, is not good. Hmm. You know, finding better alternatives for that is, is going to be crucial. Right. But once again, you know, these are things that you fully expect consumers to cause change on. Yeah. And, you know, I, I grew up as a conservationist. You know, the idea was is that you preserve the land, you get big fish, you get big deer, you bring home big game. Yeah. yeah. And if you don't take care of the land, the land doesn't take care of you. And That's so you right. get you get used to this idea that, you know, I have to take care of the things around me if I want those things around me to produce. Everybody everybody gets this idea that, you know, like farmers are trying to run things into the ground as much as possible. And yeah, there are those op- those operations out there, but there are those guys that just they don't know a different way yet, or they can't afford the different way. And that's, I mean, a lot of the times that the cost is that barrier to entry. Getting that equipment is not cheap. And if you ain't making any money, it's hard to justify that cost. Right. A lot of farmers, a lot of farmers committed suicide because of the soy, the the trade war. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of farmers couldn't, they couldn't, they just, they just invested in the, in the equipment. They took out loans and then they couldn't sell their product. Mm-hmm. That, that's just sad to me. Well, and and what's really sad there is is that you know there are serious issues with China that have to be addressed. Agreed. But when it comes to feeding people, you know, that's an extra personal feeling for farmers having grown up on a farm knowing that you've spent all this money and you've grown all this crop to feed people and it's just going to sit there and rot away it's it's really personal it it hurts especially when you're growing the crop because they told you the market was there you could have been growing corn but you grew soy instead because the government said it it will create a market so you can sell it and then took it away and that's and and that's part of the problem, absolutely. But you know, it it also goes down to people don't realize how interconnected all of our economies are now. It isn't right. just it isn't like the old days where we were just out to take care of ourselves, and if we had any excess, we sold it off. Right. It's like we're bringing in things that we can't grow here. We're selling things that they can't grow there. And right. when you cut off those markets, suddenly it's you know, you just end up with this massive overwhelm. Yeah. And then you have issues where like some markets are straight up refusing our crops because of our farming techniques. Mm. And so therein lies the rub. It's like, okay, you you know, as a farmer, that means that you're going to have to change your practice if you want to sell your crop 
externally. Right. And so then the question is, is are you making more money doing that? Or are you making more money selling it the way that you've been doing it? Can you change? Exactly. Most of McDonald's beef comes from Australia. Yeah. And, and now that they're doing the never frozen stuff, it's like, well, how are you preserving it in the meantime? I mean, refrigerator trucks are a thing, but it's still, you know, when you have that sort of logistics, it's probably easier to truck in fresher stuff now, but then you have the food safety aspect of it. Right. So. I remember the good old days, they used to do the railroad up north into Canada so that they could get the ice and then go to Chicago. You know, like Chicago was the breadbasket and everything right. went through there. Like New York, they didn't know what good steak was. Their steak was, was like mm-hmm. older and it was more seasoned. I don't know what's the, you know, how you preserve mm-hmm. it that way in salt. And salt, so yep. a lot of people didn't even know what good food was unless you were in Chicago or in the heartland there, you know. Well, and we, we raised our own cattle. So like for me, you know, good ground beef, you know, for burger or good steak or good mm-hmm. stew meat or anything like that, you know, I knew what was what we raised with our cows. I knew right where they were fed. I knew what they were fed. Right. And, you know, we had a really fresh turnaround. It was absolutely delicious. So people who, you know, buy their steaks at the grocery store, you know, you get a little bit different experience. But that's always going to be true when you look at, you know, mass-produced produce. Right. It, you know, there are sacrifices that you make, you know, in order to have quantity or quality that's always the case that's why that's why prime cuts are so expensive the quality of a prime cut is absolutely delicious the cost of a prime cut hurts (laughs) (laughs) so you you go for that you know cheap little try you know three pack of you know petite sirloins and there's nothing wrong with that but it just means that you have to you know prep it differently in order to get a taste that you're you're happier with exactly poor people have to do that and there's this thing called inflation and people don't Mm -hmm. exactly know what it is but rich people can afford those steaks so the price is higher because and Mm -hmm. then and then people that can't afford it can't they can't afford it and that's inflation (laughs) (laughs) absolutely and and also too you have to look at you know the way that things get taxed as well so like for example there's a reason why i am not a proponent of sales tax Sales tax is what we call uh, equal, but not equitable. So you know what the difference between equitable and equal is, right? Tell me. So when I say we're all going to get the same thing, like I hand you a steak, I hand you a steak, I hand you a steak, you know, there's a really tiny person who gets a 12-ounce steak. There's a really, really big person who gets a 12-ounce steak. And then there's somebody in the middle who gets a 12-ounce steak. Equal is we all get the same thing. Equity, equitable, is when things get portioned out in the way in which people need them. There's a great, there's a great diagram of this where you know there's the there's these three kids that are trying to look over a fence to watch a baseball game. There's a short kid, a medium kid, and a tall kid. And so only the tall kid can see over right now. And there's three boxes. Equal is you give everybody a box. Okay, so the tall kid is now even higher above the fence. The medium kid can now see over the fence, but the short kid still can't see. Exactly. Equity is that the tall kid can already see over the fence. He doesn't need a box, so you give it to the short kid. Now the short kid can see over. 
course, then there's a bunch of memes of, well, now what you need to do is just call the security and escort those kids out for watching the game for free. But oh, that's beyond the point. But that's beyond the point. You know, the idea is, is, is that with equity, you're, you're allowing resources to be assigned based on need. Right. So, so somebody that can afford a higher sales tax should be paying it as opposed to somebody that can't. And, and unfortunately, you can't with the way technology is set up right now. You can't do that right. unless you tax, you know, unless you put a specific sales tax on luxury goods, for example. Right. So like high-end cars, if you tax them higher because people who are richer can afford them. That would be one, that would be one instance of being equitable. But the reality is, is, is that where you see more equity is, is when you do an actual income tax. Because mm -hmm. the idea then should be that, you know, regardless, you know, if you make, if you make X amount of money and below, you're not taxed because mm -hmm. you're barely making it. And then you adjust your tax brackets as needed. And what should be happening is the wealthier getting taxed at a higher rate. Now, Unfortunately and unfortunately, we have tax codes, and those tax codes have a lot of great loopholes that people right. who are rich can can utilize. And I'm going to just say it this way: I don't blame people for utilizing what has been given to them. Well, why would you? But they they've also spent money lobbying to keep those loopholes open. And that's and 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 that's where I have this fundamental issue of. You know, where you see celebrities saying, tax us, tax us, we have the money, and it's right. not happening. Okay, so here are your options. Either A, you start lobbying for higher taxes. Right. As much as, as, much as I would like to see that, and the answer is I wouldn't, that's a waste of money because that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. So what does that mean? Is there an equitable way in which you invest your money? And the answer is yes. You can find ways to invest in communities affected and around you or in places that people aren't investing in order to help make life a bit more equitable. Right. And it comes down to those people putting their, their money where their mouth is until changes are actually made and people are actually taxed solely according to their wealth, not what loopholes that they have. Right. You can invest you can invest with a bunch of celebrities in a soccer team, or you can invest with a bunch of celebrities to put a grocery store in an urban area that doesn't have fresh food. Or, or you know, invest in uh, invest in a, a type of uh, business that you know makes sure that kids are getting the type of foods that they need to grow up properly. Right. That or invest in programs that you know, feed kids at school, you know, invest in programs that, you know, allow, that teach kids, you know, the fundamentals of being an adult, yes, the, that, that, that teach kids, that teach kids, you know, how to come up with ideas and become entrepreneurs right? and, and work on finding ways to help marginalized communities get that head start that they are often so lacking. Yeah, it's called a living wage. If you if everybody could make an, a living wage with one job, they could be home more. This all this all really started a few years ago because there's this thing called the green meat. You know, 
the meat turns green, but there's no parent there to say that to the kid, don't eat that meat. And so mm -hmm. the kid has to learn on his own, but doesn't pass it to the next kid. And so nobody's telling the kid not to eat the green meat. <laughs> you know right. I mean? Right. And, and, you know, therein lies the rub is, is that the way that our society works now, when you think about 40, 50 years ago, having two parents working wasn't entirely common. It wasn't uncommon. Right. right. Now it's just expected that both parents will be working. Right. And so, you know, where, you know, you know, where are kids going to learn the life skills that they need? Now, Debbie and I have really emphasized that it's like, you're going to know how to do your own laundry. You're going to know how to cook your own food. Every yeah. once in a while, the kids go grocery shopping with me and I show them. It's like, look, you know, here's a couple of choices. You know, you've got pasta A, which is the name brand. It's supposed to be the best of the best. And you have pasta B, that's the store brand. What's the difference? Well, the price on that one's higher. Yeah. And what else? Well, you get less of it. Uh-huh. And what about this one over here? Well, the price is lower and you get a lot more of it. Food math. You know, learning, yeah. you know, what, how much you, you know, by, by making different choices, what can you buy that yeah. could feed you longer? And giving and kids choices is the way to do it. If you order a kid, they'll <laughs> resent you forever. But you give them a choice, they make the decision. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, even just you know, using a little bit of reverse psychology. What do you got there? Oh, you wouldn't like it. Right. <laughs> well, let me try it. No, you wouldn't like it. Yeah. But, I mean, I was a picky eater as a kid, too. And then suddenly, somewhere in my teens, I was like, I really want to try Chinese food. And then from there, it was just like, <laughs> exploded into eating all these different types of foods that... Some right. have just left me absolutely breathless in good ways and some in bad ways. <laughs> yeah, I got gotcha. you. When I got married, I married a cute little Filipino girl that didn't have a job. I'm on disability. And so we would go to people's houses to eat because we wanted to visit with them. But, you know, I ended up eating things like squid and, mm -hmm. and beef's blood. And I'm not going to go with the duck egg. I, I couldn't do the duck egg. <laughs> but you... You know, necessity create, uh, creates creativity, you know. We, we, uh, we grew up, you know, very, very poor at one point. And this was before I moved on to the farm um, to where my dad was, you know, shooting deer in order to make sure that we had food yeah. on the table. And so we ate a lot of deer for a while. Mm. But I also, there were also times where I remember that, you know, we didn't eat. And that was just the reality of being poor. And right. when you think about a country that produces as much food as we do, the idea that there are people at all, not just kids. I mean, kids, you know, the appeal to emotion. It's like, oh, well, no kid should ever go hungry. Well, why is it just the kids that shouldn't go hungry? No adult right. should go hungry either with the amount That's of food right. that we produce. But the amount of food we throw away. And, and the amount of food we allow to be thrown away. It's, it's, you're starting to see other countries put in to laws that produce, you know, things that are going to be thrown away have to be, you know, given to food banks or whatever in order yeah. to be gotten rid of. And, and to me, that is absolutely brilliant, you know, and there's been the question of, oh, well, people are just going to wait and, until it goes, is almost going bad and then they'll go get it for free at the, no. that's, I, I'm sure there are a few people that'll do that. Because there always are. Right. 
but a larger majority of people are going not going to shift their buying habits and in fact i would even i would even make an argument to the contrary that people that know a store is going to be donating what is about to you know what is on the verge to places where people will be able to be fed more people will shop at those stores because of the fact that you know they know that if there's anything left over it's going to go somewhere else that you know then leads you know to the issue of you know well if more people are shopping at those stores doesn't that mean there'll be less left over potentially but right. only for a short period of time because the stores will then you know restock their merchandise more yeah. accordingly as they as they know what's leaving their shelves right. they have price points they have uh, reorder points they don't even just have that anymore they have analytics yeah. you know, a lot of those grocery stores you know which is what i went to school to specialize in is they they understand you know it's like okay you know we need to start putting out the pumpkin spice stuff here yeah we need to start putting out the christmas stuff here we need to start putting out the easter stuff here and they understand exactly when those ebbs and flows are so they can adjust using analytics what they need to keep stocked in their store now now in the time of covid everybody's analytics is shot to hell right now because yeah. of, you know, I mean, for example, you know, COVID's faked, but everybody rushed out to hoard, you know, nuclear apocalypse levels of toilet paper. Right. You know, COVID's fake, but you couldn't find bread or flour in stores for months. Right. COVID's fake, but, you know, and, you know, and that, what was the most recent run on stuff? Because you had the toilet paper, you had the flour. Oh, uh, when people started getting sick at the meat packing plants, you started having people making run on meat. Uh, and and that's like, what I wanted to know. Why would I eat the chicken if these people have the COVID and they're playing with the chicken? Do I want that? I stopped buying <laughs> I, I did. I stopped buying chicken because I just didn't trust it. It's one of those things. Does it live on the food? I mean. So, so that's one of those fun things where when, when this all first broke out, we had no clue. Right. you know what its vector of transmission was we didn't know if it was simply airborne we didn't know if it was droplets we didn't know if it was you mm. know contact and so for the most part no contact tracing you know, like contact like touching things not a viable method but that said it does live on things for quite a while right. if you do put it on there and so for so the answer was simply that no, it's not a viable method. People don't need to be Clorox wiping down their produce. That was a thing. Right, right. Clorox right. wipes. That was another thing that disappeared. Bleach. Yeah, yeah and the prices went up. Yeah. Yep. I mean, at one point, like, I went to go buy, you know, just my normal, you know, crate of medium eggs. Yeah. And where I'd normally been getting them for three bucks, they were now nine. I was like, right. Dang. You know, and, and it's just like, so much panic went into this far more, you know, than people ever should have realized. Yeah. And, and then people, you know, then you have people that end up having to stock up because they don't know when the next time is that they're going to see their, their thing in the grocery store ever again. Right. And so now, you know, flour is a lot, there's a lot fewer varieties of flour, but it's stocked. Yep. There's a lot fewer varieties of toilet paper, but it's stocked. Right. Meat is meat came, you know, it was, scarce but now it's coming back uh bleach has come back a lot fewer varieties but once again it's stocked right. and really the issue there is is that people panicked 
and bought a whole bunch of stuff for two reasons. Number one, you know, it was the end of times. Yeah, it was the apocalypse, right? Or number two, people did it so that way they could turn around and sell it for, you know, extreme profits on open market. Right. And you saw some cases where, you know, states intervened. Like the guy who bought was $1,100 worth of sanitizing products and basically was told you can't sell it because of price gouging, the price gouging laws that you're, good. you know, in violation of. That's good. Yeah. I mean, it, that's the tough one because I'm a free market person and I think if someone is dumb enough to buy a little tiny <laughs> bottle of hand sanitizer for a hundred bucks, <laughs> you know what? You've earned it. Yeah, but, but at the same it, time, too, it goes to like the gas, gas they they price gouge, and, and my friend mm-hmm. lives on the South Carolina border, and like South Carolina gas is a dollar fifty, but North Carolina it's two eighty nine, and she's mm-hmm. like that doesn't make sense, and I was like, well, North Carolina doesn't have a price gouging law, but South Car- you know South Carolina might. Yeah, and and that or a lot of it has to do with the way that they tax purchases, for right. example. But I am so, a free market person. I agree with you. You know what I mean. So, so while it was kind of like, haha, that sucks, you know, at the same time, it was like, well, you know, he could have, he could have easily, you know, done something different for his community with the money that he made from it. Right. Now that, you know, there you're hoping that people are inherently good and, and going to do the right thing, but that's a tough one. My favorite story is everybody went out and spent a hundred bucks on toilet paper. I bought the, uh, I downloaded a stock app and I got a hundred dollars worth of stock. So my toilet paper is worth $200 right now. (laughs) But that's because, that's because I knew that Donald Trump based his opinion on the economy on the stock market. So I knew that he would keep it propped up and I knew Mm -hmm. once he was gone, it would, it would, I got GE stock and it, it keeps saying down, down, down. But I know once he's gone, you know, Gee, he's going to go back up to a normal. <laughs> well, and, and right now it's, you know, there's so much uncertainty with, with yeah. everything. I mean, you, it's very common, like in, in the four year election cycle that right about now things start sinking and plateauing because yeah. we don't know what the next administration is going to look like. And you're seeing that businesses are concerned because we don't know from one day to the next if he's going to start a war with China or the European yeah, Union right. or Latin America or, or well, just not Russia. Earth. <laughs> right. You know, and, and so it's, you know, with that level of uncertainty, you know, you know, just under normal cir- uh, circumstances, things right. just tend to plateau for, you know, through November. Yeah. And then once once the new president is in office, things will start to stabilize and move back around. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's, there's hope that things will be stable. <laughs> that's, you know, unfortunately, that's the bare minimum we've got to go for right now is stable. Now the right. question is, is how do you make it better afterwards? Yeah. I mean, I bought renewable, there's a company that makes renewable batteries to store energy that we're shipping overseas. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it was, I think it was $2. So I just bought five of those shares, you know, because I know we're moving towards renewable and, you know, recyclable. And I know that that's going to get, it's going to get pretty huge in 20 years. Not right now though. <laughs> you, know? you know, and, and that's, and that's the funny thing is, is that, you know, renewables are definitely the next, uh, they're, they're a big wave that is eventually what's really frustrating, frustrating to me is, is that we have places that could have 
been back to work making our renewable energy infrastructure. Yeah. You know, there's no reason that Detroit, the Motor City, couldn't have been the electric Motor City. Exactly. And and it's unfortunate that politicians and uh, have pissed that opportunity down their leg. Yeah. You know, you could have you could have been competing with China and India on this stuff, and instead we're not. We we created a new market out of nothing, green technology out of nothing, and it's gone. But Ohio could have just been ripping through so on like wind turbines. They could have been making those things and selling them to China. You Absolutely, know? we could have we could be making those things and selling them to the world, yeah. and we're we're not. And that's mm. really where it's unfortunate. Um, because power generation is not the problem. It's power right. storage that is currently. Like we could harness enough wind energy and solar energy and, and thermo and hydro and power the country. There's, mm -hmm. there's no question about it. I'm still a proponent of nuclear energy as well um, because it is a, a carbon free. But knowing what we know now, I know that we could design it differently and put it in different places so that it's safer. I mean, we build bunkers underground for military structures. There's no reason why we couldn't build nuclear power plants underground. And right. if things happen, you just lock it down and it's contained yep. underground. That's right. There's no reason why you couldn't do something like that. And, and even still, uh, there's a woman who developed a thorium breeder reactor. I forget what her name is. And it is like... I'm not a nuclear scientist, but I love to read up on this stuff and looking at it, you know, it's one of the safest types of breeder reactors out there where it takes basic, I think most of the radioactivity out of all of, out of the components, all of the fuel that it uses. Really? Yep. And, it, and it, but there's two problems. Number one, you've got, one group of people who go, well, what does a woman know about science? Yeah, of course. Never mind the fact that they don't know anything about science themselves. Right. And then you got this other side that goes, well, you know, Fukushima, Chernobyl, Three Mile Island, nuclear is bad. Right. And, well, the guys over on that side are wrong, but the people over on that side, yeah when you're dealing with aging nuclear technology, you can expect things to go wrong. Like with any technology, the older yeah. it gets, you know, you're going to look at inefficiencies. Things are going to break. Mm. Plus people didn't, you know, when you think about where some of these things were built, it's like, that's not the best idea to build those things there. Yeah. Right in the middle of the populated area of Tokyo, not the best idea. <laughs> no. Or, you know, you look at where Chernobyl was built and, you know, or don't do dumb tests. Don't right. don't do dumb tests. You know, there's a time and a place to test theoretical things. When you're sitting on an atom bomb, that's not the time to do a test. Right. And and when really you're trying to build a nuclear cruise missile and it goes awry. <laughs> <laughs> that's one that's that's something you don't want to to screw up. And and right. really that's that's where the issue is is, is that Nuclear is still a very viable option because it's an on-demand option. Um, you know, with with wind and solar and hydro and thermal, you know, you're you're at the mercies of Mother Nature. You know, right. which being a farmer, I'm used to that. And you need the storage capabilities then. And in which case, you know, if you were to completely discount nuclear, you would have to have a storage solution. Right. 
And the thing is, is that nuclear is number one, the most efficient power producer. Agreed. And it is, and it is also carbon neutral. Like the discounting, it is not good. I get the reservations, but what that means though is, is that you really need to listen to the scientists and how these things are supposed to be built, not just yeah. people trying to build it for the lowest bottom dollar. Right. I really think we're we're riding on infrastructure that other people built that we just don't understand, like the internet. I think at some mm -hmm. point we're going to lay off the guy that actually runs the internet and it's all going to fall apart because nobody actually knows how it's running, you know? <laughs> and, you know, and that's the fun part is, is I do know how it runs. I yeah. do know how the internet runs. And, and, you know, there's, there's been, um, I don't know if you read what I posted today about appeal to emotion. Mm. Um, so there's been this lovely piece going around of how, you know, big tech can go around and, you know, take down hydroxychloroquine uh, stuff and, and pandemic stuff. And, you know, these doctors videos about how there's a cure for COVID, uh, yeah, right. but somehow you, but somehow 800,000 kids go missing every year. And it's like, okay, let's start with appeal to emotion, the logical fallacy where you're, where, when you're lacking facts and evidence you're trying to appeal to someone's emotion so that way once you have them on your side it's easier for them to do guilty by association yeah. so it so it makes big tech companies look bad that they're not doing anything about child trafficking so here's the issue with that number one the two issues are almost entirely separate when child illicit child images and child trafficking comes up across their servers they're required by law to report that stuff. They have a direct line to the FBI. They have procedures of how they pull that information and hand it over. They know who's, who's downloading this stuff. They right. know who's sending this stuff. They're going to get those people. When you don't understand how the internet is run and you think that big tech runs the internet, that's how you end up with in this situation of, oh, well, they're not stopping pedos, so obviously this is all bad. Right. Well, no, they're not stopping pedos because they're not law enforcement. Law right. enforcement does that. Right. That's law enforcement's job. They're the ones that find this stuff out. Big tech comes in with the assist whenever it is on their servers. Right. And they go and they hand over whatever they have. When it's not on their servers, when it, when it has nothing to do with them, like big tech can't just go out and try to find illegal child images. They can't go out and try to find people that are child trafficking. That's, right. They don't have any power to do that because the internet is not this centrally controlled thing. Exactly. It's a series of wires and servers and hosts that are in different countries and different places. Right. Facebook can't monitor 4chan. Facebook cannot monitor 4chan. I don't know why anybody would want to monitor 4chan other than just to <laughs> shut it down. Ugh. But that's what I'm saying is that certain things can run because that's in a separate country that has looser rules. And Facebook might be there, but it's not Facebook job. Facebook's job to report 4chan. It's, it's the FBI's job to monitor 4chan. 
it, it is it is the FBI's job to find out where some of these things are being hosted. Right. It is it is their job to figure out what countries they have extradition rules and treaties with in order to find this stuff. Right. And what and and so starting from base understanding of the internet, the internet as we know it, the things that you look for, the web, is the indexed portion of the internet. That's things that are tagged, and we know exactly what they are. We know their address. We know who, what, where, when, how. Right. It's built with the tag in it. Yep. Then you have the deep web. That's the unindexed part of the web. And, and there, that's where you have different things lie. Some of them are not indexed for a reason. They're coded that way, so that way they're harder to look up for good and for bad reasons. But it's still fairly open. Then you have the dark web, and that's where you have high levels of encryption. You have ghost servers that are run through various VPNs through through seven other countries, and all of them with you know non-extradition packs for several other countries. Like that stuff is hard to track, and you really truly need you know a cyber crimes unit to uh, sure. that's full time hunting that stuff down, and. And it's not something that is simply just the U.S. that should be doing it. It needs to be an international coalition that's finding and fighting that stuff. It, it needs greater cooperation, absolutely. So when you start to understand that it's not just one server that controls the Internet, but right. literally Google's got its own set of servers, Facebook's got its own set, Apple, Microsoft, yeah. you know, the website that you visit every once in a while, the place that hosts your bunk conspiracy theories is on its own. And those and are then in separate cities. Those are in separate city, buildings. states, separate countries. Areas. Right. My, my brother-in-law used to do the servers for Facebook and Twitter, but that was just, that was just one location. And if that went right. down, there was other locations. And that's, and that's essentially how some of these illegal sites work, is, is that they've got multiple locations. They aren't always running. So right. when a site gets busted and they take it down, everybody gives themselves a pat on the back. Hey, we did it. But then another site pops up in another country. Right. And all that same content is being shared again. And so now it, the search starts all over. Yeah. And they use different encryption methods now. So you have to crack that to find out how they're doing this. So, you know, you have this issue of, you know, you're trying to relate two issues that rarely ever cross. And when they do cross, they, cr they, they do exactly what you would expect and demand that they do. They turn the stuff over to law enforcement. Having worked in law, I've seen what that looks like. Right. It's awful. Uh, but you, n but I can tell you that they don't screw around with that stuff. It shows up. It, it gets handed over very quickly. FBI agents are there within minutes. They're yeah. getting everything that they can and things happen very quickly. Now, within that appeal to emotion, you know, you hear things that are shocking. 800,000 kids go missing. In 2012, that was actually true. 800,000 kids went missing in 2012. Wow. And that is a truly horrific and shocking number. But do you know what lying by omission is? Yep. Just not saying the part that, that is important. Leaving parts out that are part of the whole story. Yeah. 800,000 kids. I dated kid that girl. <laughs> 800,000 kids absolutely went missing in 
2012. The kernel of truth there is real. And it's also part of an appeal to emotion because that is truly horrific. But what is conveniently left out is, is that in modern day, about 99% of those cases are recovered. I think it's like 70% are recovered within 72 hours. Hmm. Now, the FBI, they don't have the best way of laying out the statistics that I would like, um, simply because I would love them love for them to lay it out more for the layman. Like, we had this number of cases pop up this year, right? and this is the number of cases that we solved this year right. that, from that subset. Because the way that they do it is this number of cases that are opened in a year versus number of cases that are shut. So you don't know whether or not all of those cases from 2012 were shut that year or not, if they were shut within 72 hours or how long. But when you start to realize that 99% of those cases are recovered, that's, I mean, it's 8,000 kids missing is still horrible. Oh, yeah. But it's a lot less shocking than 800,000. Yeah. And so by conveniently leaving that out and trying to compare that, you know, to what's happening with COVID, you're trying to put a connection in two places that shouldn't be intersecting. And so what's happening with COVID is also horrible and terrible. But what is happening with missing and, and trafficked children is also horrible and terrible. <laughs> right, right. These two things can exist at the same time. And, and that's where you get into the binary logic fallacy yep. is, is that it has to be one or the other. Right. And I talked to Debbie about that. So that's this binary choice that people think exists when there's a whole gray area in between. Well, and, 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 and even, you know, we see that within our current system. You know, our elections are a binary system, despite the you know, fact that we've got other people that tend to vote, but they don't really matter right. as much. You know, our choice is usually Republican or Democrat. I mean, you know, even as our system was developed, it was Federalists and Anti-Federalists. Yep. Uh, fe uh, Federalists and Whigs, Whigs and, yep. and Democrats, yeah, Whigs and Democrats, Democrats and Republicans, and it's been Democrats right. and Republicans for the last 150 years. So I'm sure as, as Debbie said it really well, America loves a binary. Yep. But the problem is, is, is that, you know, like anything else, Computer coding is the only thing that exists in binary. Computer coding is the only thing that is a one or a zero. Yeah, you can't put a three in there. And that's a different form of coding. <laughs> There's a, there is a form of coding called a, a zero, one, two, and it's called septernal or something like that. Mm -hmm. I forget, sepiternal coding or something like that. But it's, it's, a, it's a really weird coding that's been experimented with in a couple of, a couple of cases. Gotcha. But... But people often think that, you know, because, you know, we just tend to want to go towards right versus wrong, left versus right, up versus down, right. one evil versus another evil, like, like the option is you have to pick one. Right. Without the realization that, you know, for example, this election, <laughs> there are two piles of shit that are rich and probably predators that are running for office. I, uh, all right. The, it's, it's not, it's not even comparable. It's not even comparable. 
if one that's, is a dumpster fire and the other's a garbage can fire, I'm taking the smaller fire. It's, and it's, that's it's, and that's what it boils down to is is that yes, you you can admit that both things are not what you want and both things are bad, but then you know we get to that whole the lesser of two evils. Yes, but that's there, my but, point is that there there is a lesser there. There is there a is lesser, lesser there. There is a lesser. <laughs> And, but but what it ultimately does it is it ultimately puts us back into that binary. Yeah. And so we literally are choosing this other this other thing, and based on the way our current systems run, it's just not a viable option if you yeah. want to not see that that garbage can fire or that dumpster fire. Exactly. I I just did a a podcast Florida Florida Action podcast with a couple of progressive girls that are actually being attacked by the Biden camp because they're not, they're not uh, submitting to the Democrat agenda and keeping their mouth shut. So with, even within that garbage can fire, there's, there's people that don't agree with it, but you know, Absolutely. like they said, they will, they will vote for him with the, with their vomit bag next to them because, because yes, he's not salting the earth, <laughs> and that's and that's what it boils down to. And and you know the difference is is that we know how to deal with a politician like right. like Joe Biden. Dealing with Trump has not been that because he's exactly. not a politician, and and you're at the whims of you know whatever happens to sell enough tweets that day, yeah. you know and and. If there's anything that I know, Biden isn't going to suspend elections because he feels like it. Which yeah. I, I personally love the 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 entire fallacy of suspending the elections, like like that was going to solve anything for him. Like, did he realize that if he suspends the elections, he's still out on January 20th at noon, right. and the Speaker of the House, him and Pence, are both out on that date. It is set in stone in the Constitution. And if there's not an election. Then the Speaker of the House becomes president, and right now the Speaker of the House is Nancy Pelosi. Yeah. Do you really want Pelosi to be president of the United States? If I were you, your dumbass better hold an election. I'm a progressive, and I don't want her. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I'm, I, I identify more as a libertarian. On the le yeah, I am a left-leaning libertarian. You're a free market man. I, I, I think what I think is, is that Donald Trump and the Republicans have shown me – why the feds aren't to be trusted yep because there was no country over party in a time where you needed country over party right exactly the 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 republicans there are there are republicans out there and then there are the i i, I trumpistas is the only word that i can come up with because they're being called they're fascist they're being fascist. called fascists by, they're the, fascist. by the progressives but I the mean, progressives are just as far the other side that's the thing that's the other problem but but even still you know but one's not trying to kill everybody one is not letting a right. person die every minute right <laughs> and and also and also you know one group is willing to put country over party and there are republicans out there the lincoln project has been interesting to watch yeah, where a bunch of republicans are 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 willing to put country over party because this is this is bad right. and and having grown up in a conservative part of the world you know the republicans that i see the republicans that i see now are not republicans to me no they're not they're, they're not john that, mccain 
They're not John mm-hmm. McCain. They're not Ronald Reagan. I mean, how bad do you have to be to have Ronald Reagan's foundation go, keep my name out of your mouth? Yeah, exactly. How bad do you have to be that the Republican that Republicans aspire to be has said, nah, you don't get to use my name. You shut your mouth. Right. That is bad. That's bad. But people don't see that it's bad or or they're trying to compare. Well, they're it's, trying it's, to turn it's, Biden like some, a it, friend of mine said, well, they're both pedos. Well, then show me the proof. Right. Because mm-hmm. I don't even think Donald Trump is a pedo. I think he has hung out with them and maybe protected them to some extent. But I don't, I mean, I heard he went into a, a Miss Teen dressing room, but I've never heard of Joe Biden. I know Joe Biden's touchy feely, but when they told him to stop, he stopped. Donald Trump, he's not going into those teen rooms anymore. And I just think there's so much truth that why are you, why are you making this false comparison? <laughs> you know what I mean? And 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 that's and this is the tough part is is that you know I you know people like Joe Biden to me like I grew up with people like Joe Biden you know there's this yes, one woman in exactly. our town like she was touchy feely like the way that she communicated with you she had her hand on you she had her right. hand on your arm she had her hand on yes. your back like there was there was nothing there she was just like her her way of connecting with you was through physical touch and right. and it was a very calm and assuring thing but. I also understand that there's a different dynamic there. I'm a dude. This was a chick. Exactly. I didn't feel threatened by anything that was happening. I didn't feel a power dynamic. I didn't right. feel any of those things. And and so while I can under, kind of understand it, I also understand where people are creeped out by the way he acts. Oh, yeah. So, Acted. I haven't, I haven't seen or heard of him doing it since he was told to stop. Now, he and, might be, but I haven't seen or heard of it. And that's hard. And that's hard to say. And and especially with him willingly locking down, I think that's that you know (laughs) kind of hard to kind of hard to touch people if you're not around them. That's right. And but the thing is, is is that you know, it's all about that treat others the way they want to be treated. Kind of like what we talked about. Right. You know, I give people. You know, I'm a hugger. Like if I see you, I'm gonna give you a hug if you want a hug. But I'm not gonna initiate. Right. 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 Because because I for some people i look like a very intimidating person people once they get to know me are like oh god you're a giant teddy bear right yeah but i get it you know when you've had to watch your back to wonder if the person next to you is going to do something terrible to you every person every person who looks like me looks like a threat and i used to get angry about that until i realized it's like i don't understand it i've never felt that way exactly I had a friend, and that's that's uh, on a, me. I had a 380 pound, six foot four guy stand over me and yell at me, and I felt that abuse. You know what I mean? I mm-hmm. I felt what a woman would be feeling in that situation that that he was using everything of, of being a man to try and make me do what he wanted. Not sexually, mm-hmm. not sexually. It was more yes. of just an argument. But he used his strength and power to try and win the argument. And so I, I, I felt that, you know what I mean? You know, and, 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 and that's the thing is, is like, you know, knowing what I know now, you felt that for a moment. Right. You've got women that are feeling that day in and day out. Right. And, and the moment that I stopped and I was like, wow, that's really awful. That, that feels terrible. It does. It's like, okay, 
So how do, how do I change so that way I'm more warm and opening to people who want me to be there? And it's, you know, there's been some things that I have definitely learned and done differently. I don't just go in for a hug now like I used to. Right. You know, it's like, hey, I'm a hugger. Or if somebody opens up and says, hey, I'm a hugger, I'm going, I'll go for it. Thank you for listening to Public Access America. You can find Public Access America on SoundCloud, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, Player FM, Google Play, YouTube, Instagram, and more. What am I forgetting? I see him in the window. Here he comes, and he's back. Alrighty. There you go. So, you know, politics is kind of a dumpster fire. <laughs> it always has been. Agreed. You know, and, and it's just unfortunate because, you know, there hasn't been, you know, a resurgence, you know, there hasn't been a development of anything beyond the binary. You know, right. we, we have two parties and if really, I think we've kind of talked about this before is that if you're going to have a viable third party, you got to start the day after the election. Right. And you need to start building it then not as a response to what when you find out what the candidate field is going to look like for the the two main parties. Right. It's going to take a fundamental change in order to get viable third, fourth and fifth parties. And we don't even know if that'll be good candidates either though. That's and that's and there lies the rub. Right. What but, I do what I do like about these girls, these progressive girls is they research the hell out of these candidates. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And I think that's what's important. That's what's missing is America just says they puts politics on autopilot and then mm-hmm. they complain when shit happens. And the reason that this stuff happens is because white people are going to these council meetings while you're out there picketing. <laughs> and I think we need to be more involved in this. I think we need at a local level, we need to hold those candidates in, to account and we need so- to start there. So here's what I would say, you know, why is the white person going to the council meeting more valuable and viable than the person out picketing? Because the, what is the response of, what do you think the response is when you haven't been listened to for a long period of time? You've gone to the council meetings and you're still not being heard. Have you? Mm -hmm. Okay. I just see it as a lack of participation, but maybe... It's it's not a lack of participation so much as it is you've been participating but you're being ignored. Interesting. Because because here's the thing is is that you know when you look at let's say the Civil Rights Act, you know you try they tried to you know people of color tried to participate in the elections, and they were told no. They went and they they tried to get their vote. Oh, they sure. were told no. They went to these meetings for with state reps, with state senate. They went to the they went federal to try and get their right to vote. Oh sure. And it took it it took so much participation that even despite them going into these you know public meetings, they were still had to be out in the streets to show that what they were fighting for was something that was not something they should be given, but something that was taken away. Yeah, you can't you can't give equality. You can only take it away. Exactly, and so so therein lies the rub. Is is that by saying that the person who attends the town council meeting, you know, is the better voice to be listening to than the person who's pissed off in the street? What that what that does is that that 
tells people that we're only going to listen to you at the town council meeting. And when you've only got so many minutes to do a town council meeting, it makes it really hard to get your voice heard. That could be. And, and, and depending on any number of the issues that you're going through, you know, really, you know, when you look at all of these protests and, and in some cases riots across the country, it really boiled down to it didn't need a federal response. It didn't even need a state response. Right. It, what it was, what it needed was, you know, the mayor, the city council, the police chief, and community activists actually sitting down and talking to each other right. and saying, here's what needs to change. Here's how it needs to change. And instead, what you've seen is one of two options. They kind of do that and they do the, yeah, thank you for your feedback. We'll take your thoughts into consideration. And then they, right. you know, screw off with themselves. Or they just doubled down on what they were doing. Yep. Which was more common. Yep. And so now it, it, it so violence begets violence. And when you just see it con consistently escalating on each side, you know, what should have been a very simple solution, the binary was, the, we, we got trapped in the binary of, well, either we keep doing things the way that we're doing or we go into like some crazy unknown and we're just going right. to keep doing what we're doing. Well, he, you know, Henry Ford had a saying, and the dude is an anti-Semitic piece of crap, but the saying is still true. If you do what you've always done, you're going to get what you've always gotten. So if you keep doing what you're doing, yeah. why are you surprised that you're getting this result? Right. Why can't we try something different? If it doesn't work, we already have a fallback. And I talked to my uncle who he, he's a police officer and he was asking me because Montana hasn't necessarily seen the same things that we've seen out here in Washington and sure. other places. And I, and I said, you know, let's start with defund the police. That's a terrible name. Let's just get it right. Totally is. It's a, it's a horrible name, but you know, the reality is, is, is that, do they want law enforcement to go away? No, they just don't want it to be utilized the way that it is now. Right. The money that's being invested into law enforcement, it's like you guys are being called out for mental health crises. You right. guys aren't trained for that. And my, and my uncle just looked at me and goes, no. Yeah. said, you guys are being called out to deal with homeless people who need services. You guys aren't trained to deal with that. Yeah. No. It's like you guys are being – called out to deal with all these things that that's not your toolbox right you are not the tool to deal with that you don't need a gun to get a cat out of a tree you don't need a gun to deal with someone who's having a mental health crisis necessarily right. now someone shows up with a gun or a knife it kind of you might need a little backup but you still need someone who is a mental health professional working Agreed. that first because that is a secondary symptom of something else that's going on. And if you can get someone there that can deal with it and treat it properly, you know, or get it started anyways. And police don't want that. They don't want to start delivering our Uber Eats. They don't want to start, like, unclogging our toilets. They don't want to do everything for us. They want to do less for us. They, and I want them to do less. I want yes. them. I want them to be able to do things like – find child traffickers. Right. I want them to be able to do things like 
deal with actual threats to the community. And I don't want them so stressed out over the 12 hours of little shit and speeding tickets and getting yelled at that they overreact at the wrong time. You know, I don't want them going out and dealing with somebody who's, you know, feeling on the edge of, of sanity because they're hungry and they haven't eaten yeah. in a few days. Like, man, that's, that's not your role. And it's, it's, it is our fault that that has gotten to that point. Yeah. We've made them the, we've made them have to deal with this, yeah. not any other way. And so, you know, when you look at what you're asking for, it's like you're asking for them to divest from police services, to invest in mental health, to invest right. in affordable housing, to invest in, you know, community services that serve the under, that serve the underrepresented and the needy. So that way, when the cops get a call for a violent offender, they can actually, they actually are just dealing with that. Right. And they have the mental capacity left in their tank to do it. Mm -hmm. I think that's the important thing. I think, I don't think people understand how stressed the police can get by doing all this little stuff and just until finally something, I mean, I'm not, I'm not condoning what happens. I'm just saying that everybody knows what it's like to be super stressed and angry at work, you know? Absolutely. And we've all overreacted. It's just, we don't have guns. <laughs> at least you shouldn't at work. Right. Um, but also too, it's like, you know, it also means that if you're going to have fewer actual cops, it's going to allow you to do better due diligence on the ones you hire. Yeah. So that way you're not hiring these people that kneel on a man's neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds. Right. So that way you don't have someone who shoots a guy for getting out his permit to show that he is a legal gun owner. Right. So that way you don't have someone who gets shot through a door on a no-knock warrant. That bugs me. Like, no-knock warrants in and of themselves should be illegal. Like, yeah. that's, that's, how, that's how innocent people die. Yep. Whether they're whether they're a cop or a bystander, yeah. that's how good. That's how innocent people die. Yeah, and that happens all over the place where people don't even hear. I just found out about uh, a guy, Tony, transgender guy. He was get he got beat up by a group of people that didn't like him. He had a breakdown. The cop came, shot him. You know, yep. and that was here in Tallahassee. Nobody hears about that. Oh man, you know what I mean. Yeah. And that's, you know, and that's an unfortunate thing is, is that, you know, there are so many things that they should be dealing with yeah. and, and finding, you know, when you look at violent offenders, when you look at rapists and murderers and, uh, you know, assaults, you know, domestic violence, yeah. that's exactly who should be dealing with those things, finding those people and getting violent offenders off the street. Yeah. Not dealing with the homeless person, not dealing with the mental health crisis, not dealing with the person who's hungry and trying to eat and, you know, at their wits end. So they're stealing yeah. at a grocery store. But we have, I mean, these, we have these for-profit prisons that said, oh, get, get us all of the people you can. 
get us the men. We're going to close down our mental resources and you're just going to put them in prison now. We're going to take the homeless, put them in prison now. And we're just going to fill our prisons up with these, with these problems that should have been somewhere else. And so now police have a quota to get people, not necessarily mm-hmm. a quota, but they, they, they're incentivized to fill the prisons up, to keep them exactly. full. And, and, here's, and here's the other issue too, is, is that from an analytics perspective, if you're jailing more and more people, what are you jailing them for? What exactly. is the cause? Is then start to actually look at the issue and is the issue really something that is, you know, worthy of them being jailed for? Yeah. I'm sorry, but theft, you know, I don't like the idea of theft, but if you, if you're telling me that a rapist is only going to get six months in prison because of lack of prison space, but the guy who's stolen something is going to get 10 years. Right. Uh, if you have to, if I had to pick the danger to society, I'm going to go with the rapist. Yeah. I mean, he should only get six months because he was shot in the head after. You know what I mean? Honestly. But, but you know, that's, you know, therein lies the rub is, is that, you know, prison was meant to be a place for reform, violent offenders, but it was also meant to be about rehabilitation. And, right. and we have a, we have a major problem as a society where even after someone has done their sentence and they're, you know, they've done their time, they've gone through parole and everything. Getting your rights back is hard. Getting yeah. hired is even harder. Yep. So, so what do you think is going to happen? They're yeah. you know, like we talked about earlier, a person's going to do what they have to, to put food on their table. You know, Bernie Sanders said in, in Pennsylvania, it cost $80,000 to house a, an inmate. It cost mm-hmm. $35,000 to send them to college. Mm-hmm. So, well, and if you look at if you look at Utah, for example, where you know they had a significant homeless population, it was something like they were spending on the order of, you know, forty-two grand or something, you know, in in putting them through the system constantly. But then it cost them something like twenty twenty-seven grand or whatever to actually build housing and and provide yeah. services. They pitched it as a financially conservative means for dealing with a problem. It's like, yeah, but if you're trying kind of socialist to me, but you know, if you're trying to fill the prison, then you don't really care about cost. Exactly. You don't care about cost and you also don't care about the rehabilitation side of it either, because you're not getting paid for prisoners being rehabilitated, which I think is really, if you wanted to shift the dynamic, like it is your job to rehabilitate them and if you're not rehabilitating them your rate goes down right they should come out with a degree in something well that's that's actually uh that's actually uh what they're doing right now in rural health clinics is is that instead of you know getting your costs reimbursed by how many people you're seeing Mm -hmm. you're now starting to get reimbursed based on how many times you're not seeing them so you have this so basically it's like you're not going to get reimbursed better if they're not getting better. We're not just going to keep paying you to keep people barely yeah. getting by. Solve the problem. And I think that would be a, a an amazing dynamic shift. Okay, we can have for-profit prisons. Yeah. But you're not getting paid based on the number of people that are there. You're getting paid by the number of people you actually rehabilitate. Right. You're not going to get paid to make a storage a human storage unit. 
and I guarantee you, they will sort that out real fast. Yeah. There are going to be programs. There are going to be, you know, places for people to go. <clears throat> yep. They're going to have a pipeline for people to get jobs. Yep. They're going to have training pipelines. I guarantee you, they would solve that problem real fast. Right. Stop Just paying them to house people. That's Start right. paying them to rehabilitate. Yeah, I like that. It's just the whole, I, well, I don't know why prisons aren't colleges. You know what I mean? Just more intense colleges, that's all. It, I mean, you know, some people use it as, use it as that, but some I think do. the biggest issue is, is that even us as a society, we have some blame in this issue because, you know, when you go to hire someone, you go, ooh, they got arrested. Right. Does that mean that I can trust them? Yeah. Well, if your system was actually about rehabilitation, the answer should be yes. You can trust them because they are rehabilitated. Right. They've served their time. They have done their sentence. They have completed whatever community work they need to do. So part of, a, part of it is us being the problem. If they're actually rehabilitated, then this shouldn't be an issue. They've, right. they, have, they have done their time to society. But we're not, we're not rehabilitating them. And just for the record, Joe Biden created the crime bill that caused mm-hmm. a lot of this incarceration. There yep. is a valid argument against him. And I've Absolutely. been waiting for one person to say that. To <laughs> I asked Absolutely. everybody, what's wrong with Joe Biden? Well, he's Absolutely. creepy. Is he? He told me to shoot my gun in the air. What? He created the crime bill. Gotcha. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and yes. And, and that, that system that he helped create has exponentially exploded this problem. Yeah. Exactly. And and so I think that the feds need to take a look at the system and say, we're not going to pay you to house prisoners. We are going to pay you to rehabilitate them. Right. You, you either rehabilitate those people or you find that your rates suck. Yeah. We'll pay you for empty cells. <laughs> you know, and in a way, in a way that will help phase out the for-profit prison system because <laughs> – the, the state the state systems are going to be in a rush to get those kind of payments themselves. Yep. And for-profit prison systems are either going to do a better job of investing their resources and making those things happen, or they're going to phase out, in yep. which case business natural selection and free market. Yep. I like but, how they're, they're, they're actually releasing people on marijuana convictions now. You know, they're commuting the sentences. Right. To me, that's that should be a no-brainer. I mean, yeah. then there again, marijuana should just be legalized and taxed. But it was illegal so that they could arrest people if they wanted Absolutely. to. Absolutely. It was Absolutely. Like, like in the South, if you walked up to a woman and you looked at her, you could be arrested and, and you could be convicted and killed for that. If you were black, if you were mm-hmm. white, they didn't have to charge you. If you jaywalked, yeah, you could get you could actually be sentenced to death for that. <laughs> but yeah. a lot of a lot of that was what they made those crime they made everything a crime so that they could say, "Ah, now you're a felon, you can't vote." And that's mm-hmm. how it is in the south. They were trying to take people's right to vote away. Mhm. And 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 that therein lies, you know, a greater problem with some of these with some of these areas. This is that, you know, 150 years later and they still haven't gotten over the fact that they got their ass kicked right but i mean in florida you have to you have to pay back restitution for Mm -hmm. everything before you can vote but they're not going to tell you how much you owe and nobody can afford it because if you're a felon you can't get a job 
Exactly. And, you know, and so it's it's this southern thing where they keep you down by any way possible. And then, and that's the issue with restitution. I think is is that you know, don't get me wrong. I, you know, when it comes to the criminal justice system, it's it's bad enough with how many cases there are going through. And, you know, it, part of your debt to society, I mean, there is a financial burden to it. But therein lies the rub. It's, you know, there have to be ways to work that restitution off. Yeah. So that way, when your sentence is completed, you have paid that restitution in full. Yeah. You have served your societal debt for your crimes. You are considered rehabilitated and are now welcomed back into society. Right. I mean, you did, you did commit a crime. You, you do need to be punished. <laughs> right. And, and, and here's the other thing, too, is, is that you can also look at, you know, setting things up in such a way that if you commit certain types of crimes, you just can't work in certain sectors again. I mean, right. that happens right now with, like, doctors, for example. You, yeah. you commit a certain number of crimes, or, or not number, certain type of crime, you're never going to practice again. Right. You can't or be a sex with, offender and be a teacher. You, you can't you can't do certain things and be a lawyer it's just right. uh, you know to me it makes sense you're gonna have you might get blacklisted but you're not yeah. going to find yourself completely you know at the mercy of you know hopefully some place will hire you as a line cook for example right. I had but this, like for i had this great oh. idea to where if you committed a crime in illinois you're kicked out of illinois you know what I mean? <laughs> and eventually you're just going to run out of states. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I think that's kind of what they tried to do when establishing Australia. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think so. That's what England did, right? Yep. I, and, and, and unfortunately, you know, fortunately and unfortunately, I can see why there could potentially be a solution there. Because going back to the there's no geographical cure for you. Right. You know, if you get people out of places where they have developed bad habits, yeah. That yeah. could actually help some people, but the problem is, is, is that unless unless you've rehabilitated people, unless you've given them skills for a place that they can work in, right. and that they're going to, you know, be able, you know, be able to be a legitimate member of society, it doesn't matter what you do. Yeah. They're going to find they're going to do the things that they were doing in the first place if they yeah. can't make an honest living. Yep, that's what worked. Yeah, even though it didn't. Yeah, <laughs> and so and so now you have the Department of Punishments, as I like to call them, rather than the the Department of Corrections. Yeah, because until until this dynamic changes, it's only about punishment, and it will always just continue to be about punishment. Yeah, it was, it. So Adam was complaining about the homelessness problem in Seattle, mm -hmm. and. They were all a problem. And I, so I, I broke it down to them and I said, you know, 1,400 out of the 21,000 are families. You know, 5,000 of them are under the age of 24. You know, 2,000 of them are veterans. I was like, 5,000 of them are chronic. Now, if you could get landlords to take the vouchers that we're giving to the 21,000, you would be left with the 5,000 chronic homeless people. And there you could devise a solution. But you can't devise a solution for a group of people, a diverse people that aren't chronically in the situation. Chronically mm -hmm. criminal is a lot different than a guy that got caught with a joint, you know. And exactly. so when you're trying to when you're trying to make something that fits everybody, there's going to be more severe forms and there's going to be lesser forms. And that's the problem. We need to 
we need to release release the people that aren't criminals, keep the people that are criminals, and then figure out what to do with them. Well, I think it's it's a matter of it's a matter of redefining uh, what what you would consider criminal. Exactly. And here and here, you know, you have people that are criminals that are a part of victimless crimes. Mm-hmm. You know, smoking smoking a joint, you ain't harming anybody else around you. Exactly. If you're, if you know, unless you're just like, you know, trying to get your, you know, two-year-old blazed. I mean, I know right. those people. But that's still, they're still not a violent criminal. To me, a violent criminal is somebody who needs to be behind bars. Right. Those are people who are, you know, sex offenders, rapists, murderers, domestic violence uh, perpetuators, right. people who are actually doing physical and emotional harm to people. Consistently. Like, Consistently, uh, yes, consistently. A one-time Absolutely. mental breakdown that that isn't isn't natural to the person is slightly different than a habitual abuser. Absolutely, and so you've got so these people that are in jail for you know homelessness, for you know for low-level drug offenses, for prostitution, yeah. like. <laughs> what do you expect? Like that's those, that's like, you know, that is, you know, and and stealing candy from a baby in terms of trying to fill your prison cells. That's it's utter bullshit. And it's, you're not constantly arresting escorts. You're doing it to clean off a street or there was a news article saying prostitution's bad. So you're cleaning it up to make a point. And, and, and the reality is, is, is that when you have people that, aren't actually hurting other people what are you trying to say about what crime is right it it makes it so much easier for you to suddenly redefine what is what is considered a crime and then and until you put it into context as to what's harmful you know like for example drug abuse yeah jailing them is not going to solve the issue they probably have something going on that they're self-medicating for. Exactly. And jail ain't going to fix that. You know what else? You know what it really is? Mental health. It could be. Or you've got people that are chronic, you know, I, I'm, chronic homelessness, I, I'd say is, you know, that that's a tough category because that's anything from people who are suffering from severe and extreme mental illnesses exactly. to people who just get trapped in the system and can't exactly. get up on their feet. But you know, you, you can analyze the 5,000 people. It's harder to analyze the 21,000 when they're so diverse. When you hit yeah. one person and they say, well, we're just a homeless, we're homeless because we were foreclosed on. And you find another guy who's shitting on the street, but he's a veteran that has mental issues. And then you go to somebody else and they're just an underage teen that ran away from an abusive home, you know? So if you can take care of the people with vouchers and make landlords take the vouchers, then you're left with the people that, that just don't know what to do and you can help them, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, and the other, and the other part here too is, is that while I'm not usually a proponent of, of government doing anything like this, the fact of the matter is, is that when you have large spaces, empty buildings that aren't being utilized and haven't been utilized, Mm. like at some point where you have this affected population, it is a chance for you to provide some level of housing and services in a centralized location that allows you to address issues. You know, 
you know, you think of, you know, homeless shelters, all they do is address the issue of needing a bed for a night. They don't address yeah. the issue of why are you homeless? Right. You can give them a house, but there's still the homeless needs, the food, the everything else that the dependencies, the addictions, they're all still there. They're just, they have a roof over their head until they destroy it. And where Seattle, I think, really utterly failed was is that they had done all of this tax collection in order to, you know, help make the help solve this homelessness issue. And then they didn't do really anything beside, you know, beside build like some tiny homes and, you know, pat themselves on the back. And then they're like, well, we're going to do we're going to have more taxes now in order to address this. It's like, well, you didn't do this the first time. Right. Well, and Jay so I get why Jay some. Jay Inslee came up with this solution for the homeless problem. He said, I want to spend $30 million and we're going to take care of it. 21,000 people, $30 million. But he can't get approval to use that money without the, the Republican controlled uh, Congress, state Congress. And there's no reason for the Republican state Congress for, to help Jay Inslee look good. And so they say no. Well, and that's, and I think that's where you have this issue of, you know, it looks and sounds and smells like a social program, but unless you start to show the dollars and cents that doing something like this actually saves a lot of money in the yeah. long run. Right. Like, I mean, you're, you're always going to have the caveat that there is no way that this is going to be for everybody. There are people who are going to refuse these services. There are people that are going to try to get into these services that don't qualify. Yep. But the reality has to be that for the people that are consistently needing these services or needing these services for a short period of time, by, by just perpetuating this issue, you're, all you're doing is spending more money in the long run, jailing people, running them through the justice system, yep. kicking them back out on the streets and having yeah. police bust them constantly and right. starting that cycle all over. You're spending more money not fixing the problem than you are if you actually kind of did a more significant investment. Or did nothing at all. It, it's, it's that whole, well, I guess we're just going to keep spending money, keep spending money, keep spending money, keep spending money. Well, why is this so expensive? It's yeah, like, right. why don't you go – Man, that's really expensive. Okay, but now we're spending less and less and less and less and less. Right. It's, that was a, Lauren Culp's idea was tough love. Put him in jail. Put him in prison. And I asked Adam, I said, so after that, what happens to him? Well, they're back on the street. They're homeless again. So the only people that made money was the state. And the state paid the state. <laughs> it just doesn't make sense, you know? Exactly. And and that's and that's the biggest problem is, is that – you know, when your incentive is, uh, you know, you're either going to be paying for-profit prisons or you're going to be paying yourself and you're yeah. not actually fixing the problem, all you're doing is actually just spending money. You're just moving it around, reallocating it so that you can use it in a different place. Yeah. So it doesn't make any sense. I mean, no. you know, essentially you're just nickel and diming yourself to death because you don't want to actually, you know incur a significant investment up front and yeah. you know with your idea the hopes that it's going to be a sh you know a, a lessening investment over time yeah. like uh, you know imagine if you don't have to hire as many public defenders because you're not constantly running people through the justice system you're not yeah. having to hire as many judges because you're not constantly running people through the justice system exactly. you're not having to hire as many police officers because you're not running as many people through the justice system 
but we cram them in because we want the, the profit of all of this. We want the jobs for all of it. We want the money coming through for all of it. And we want these people to stay, stay who they are so that we can continue to make money from them in, in cash bails and fines and all of this other stuff that they get paid for. You mm-hmm. know? It's, you know, it, until they actually are willing to look at this as an investment in solving a problem, mm-hmm. not just throwing money at it and hoping it goes away, right. you're going to see waste. You're, yep. And that's exactly what you're going to see is you're going to see waste. People being charged and rust, you know, roughed up by police. And unfortunately, that's what makes, you know, that's what, you know, I guess until they suffer a significant number of lawsuits that cost them enough money. Yeah. There's, there's just nothing that we're going to be able to do about it. Even if that did, they would be lost because this is the only way they've ever known. And, and that's, that's unfortunate because, you know, everybody knows that if you do, you know, like anything like proper maintenance, for example, you know, your cost of ownership goes down. Why? Because you're not having to overhaul major parts all the time. Well, you know, people are no different. Like if you invest in them being able to have a roof over their head, if you invest in them being able to have food in their stomach, if you invest in them having services available to them, the difference is, is, is that eventually these people can become productive functioning members of society. But mm-hmm. under the way things are done now, that's never going to be the case. Because they're homeless. It's not mental. It's not foreclosure. It's not abuse. It's homeless. And so we're going we're gonna to treat them all the same. We're going to treat every homeless person like we would the chronic homeless person. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's really unfortunate that, you know, people want to just keep using the same methodology. And act surprised that they're getting the same results and that they're right. having to spend more money on cops and spend more money on the justice system and yeah. spend more money on judges and lawyers and prison beds. And I'm yeah. not surprised by it at all. You don't fix, if, if you don't actually fix the problem, all you're doing is spending more money on a fake solution. Yep. To make people feel better. So the street can be clean for a day or two. And speaking of spending money, you know, that kind of goes into this whole COVID thing, you know, Everybody's been so concerned about the shutdown and how that it's affecting people, you know, and, and only 1% of, you know, there's only a 1% mortality rate to this. You know, one of the things that we haven't thought about in all of this is what does it kind of look like for those people that, you know, do survive? Pre-existing conditions, yeah. You got, pre- well, you've got pre-existing conditions, but now you're going to have people that are most likely going to end up on disability lists. Yep. And what do you think that's going to do? Well, they're either going to have to get social su- social security in, you know, disability yep. in order to survive, or guess what's going to happen to kind of be out on the street and be homeless. Yeah. And so you're, because of selfish thought, you're looking at a reality that there's going to be a significant number of people that are going to end up on a system that, has been leveraged against for things that it's not supposed to be leveraged against for. You look at social security. Why was social security created? Well, when you come out of the depression, people didn't have the basic means for a bare minimum standard of life. Social security was this idea that, you know, if your family hit tough times or if the country hit tough times, you would at least have 
a bare minimum standard of living. Right. Well, we've now leveraged against that in a couple of different ways. Number one, people use it as their retirement account. Yep. That frustrates me, but I get it. I get why it is the way that it is. I don't like it. People with pensions are collecting Social Security. I get it. People with 401ks are collecting Social Security. I mean, I get it because I put a bunch of money in there. I would like to see my money back too. Sure. That's, I mean, that's a reality. And, and I don't think that there's necessarily anything wrong with that idea of I've put all of this money in. Why is it that I don't get to benefit from it? Even though you do in other ways. In other ways. And, that's, and therein lies the key. You know, you think about why Social Security was created. It was created for, you know, your family to have a base level of income and security. But also, too, it's meant for when things hit the fan, like the Great Depression. Right. So guess what we could have used to keep people at home, keep people paid and fed? Mm. Social, Social Security, the very thing that... Social security was designed for was a moment like this. Right. This is what it was made for. And when you realize that the government, both sides, both parties, both parties. have leveraged out our social security, yes. that w- our national debt is because they're borrowing from that source. Right. There is no reason that money should have been touched in any circumstance, period, whatsoever. But they kept diminishing the investment in it and diminishing the investment in it until we got to this situation. This, you know, we shouldn't have had to have a bailout for people. Social That's Security right. should have been what people were were collecting on in order to make sure that things were okay. Yeah. We shouldn't have had to worry about whether or not people were going to keep getting paid. Social Security is made for this exact moment. Yep. And you know, and if it hadn't been used as a retirement fund, and if it hadn't been leveraged against, we could have very well done that. Yep. Agreed. And that's frustrating. This is one of the few times where I actually I, I agree with Warren Buffett. You know, when you have a situation like this, Congress should not be allowed to go on recess, and they should not be able to go on break until your your GDP is not exceeding three percent. Like mm, your yeah. debt is not three percent of, three uh, percent more than your GDP. That was actually going to be that I woke up at like six, five this morning, and I was like, "Wow, I just want to, I want to tell Jeffrey, I want to talk about the GDP." <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but then I was like, "I can't. I he needs a little more notice." Than this, oh know? no, no, no! Absolutely not! Absolutely not! I can, I can jump into so many topics, but really, you know, when it comes to that, like the fact that our country is borrowing money from itself, number one, from its citizens that are paying taxes, number one, right. and from other countries, number two. Like, what that should tell you is, is that what we're doing isn't working, that we right. either need to, A, cut spending, B, raise taxes, or C, both. Yeah. Personally, I tend to be on the not raising taxes side of the spectrum. But... That's what people don't realize, that this is a giant payday loan that these that, that kids are going to be paying... Adam's daughter is going to be paying the rest of her life for the trillion dollars that went to the top. And, mm-hmm. but no, let's reelect him. <laughs> you know right. I mean? right. And, 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 and that's, that is one of the biggest problems is, is that 
you know, there is no reason why this country should be in this shape. And I think that what we're going to end up finding ourselves in is kind of like what, what you know, Greece and, and Spain went through um, with austerity measures. Right. And that I, I don't necessarily like the idea of having to do that. But here's the thing is, is that I think you're going to have to see people cut things straight across the board. Yep. Unfortunately, it's, I would like for it to be equitable, but I think you're going to have a better chance of convincing people to at least be equal. Mm. Yeah, that means that's that going to affect me on disability way more than it's going to affect you with a job. It's going to, it is going to affect me, uh, you know, I, but I, it's not on, I, yeah, words. Uh, it's uh, so where I would say is that it is going to affect people the most is, is that you got to look at your big budget items like mm -hmm. military. Yep. Why is it that we have to have a military budget uh, that is larger than the next 26 countries combined? Yeah. What was that Bernie? I'm sorry. I couldn't hear you. <laughs> <laughs> like, like to me, like as a, as someone who believes in fiscal conservancy is I that do, I do as well. To me, the idea, you know, I don't like the idea that we are Team America World Police. I never have and I will not. You know, I don't believe we should be isolationists either. Right. But the the way in which we are going about things financially is not healthy. And you can look at any major civilization over the course of written history. It happened to the British. What happens when you overextend your military? Eventually, your empire collapses. It's hard to keep that up. Yeah. Look at the Romans. Look yeah, at the Byzantines. Right. Look at the the Ottoman Empire. Look at yep. look at Genghis Khan. That kind of a system is hard to keep up financially. Yeah. I mean, even look at Nazi Germany. Yep. Their system was just absolutely. Their system was just absolutely incredible. And in terms of, I've got Debbie just doing goofy shit over here. Yeah, it's cool. we'll, we'll, we'll wrap it up on this. <laughs> <laughs> but you look at Nazi Germany and what they did, you know, with their war economy. Mm -hmm. Like, they brought their country out of poverty because of a war economy. That is not a good thing. <laughs> because right. there, there and then, your only mechanism for making a suitable living is through war. Right. We haven't exactly done that, but we're not exactly far off of that. Well, yeah, because, because we're we're putting troops to protect minerals. We're we're putting in troops to build infrastructures. They're not actually fighting would, wars as much as they are building up other countries. See, now I wouldn't mind troops building infrastructures if they were doing it at home, because like exactly. like the interstate system, like with what Eisenhower ordered. Mm -hmm. You know, the best way you can defend your country is by being able to access it at any given point right. in any way. The Hoover Dam, these projects, mm -hmm. these social projects. The social projects. So, like, for example, you know, FDR, I, I do consider one of the greatest presidents because he he created he, – he had projects go into work that made the standard of living for the average American better. And I do believe that we could do that again. <clears throat> we could do that with our current infrastructure, which is crumbling to beat all hell. We could do that with the telecommu uh, telecommunications industry because let's face it, <clears throat> uh, 
with anything that work from home has taught us, it's that all of this, the constant commute, the going places to have to be at an office building is artificially creating traffic problems. Yeah. It's creating all sorts of problems. And so what you're finding is, is that there's, you know, because technology has advanced in such a way that there's not this need for doing things the way that we've been doing them. Right. You know, companies are starting to learn, oh, I don't have to have a huge office. Right. I can literally send people a computer and, you know, give them a stipend for their internet connection. Yep. And I've reduced my overhead and my by a large amount. Yeah. People, and they're finding out that their workers are more productive because they're not <laughs> spending, you know, 30 minutes, an hour, two hours, three hours commuting back and forth families are happier because mom and dad are home more kids are better off because you know if if something comes up mom and dad are there yep and so you know this artificial creation of you know having to work in an office environment has led to a lot of other problems that that somehow covid has allowed us to see and and begin to solve there's a lot of companies out there that are going to make their their employees permanent work from home of course. Why wouldn't they? And, and you know, and they'll have a spot at the office if they need to go in for a meeting. And they'll have resources available to them if they need them. But you're now investing in your employees in a way that allows them to be productive. You know, yeah. one of the things that I've noticed is, is that since I'm at home, I'm not, you know, ordering junk food to get delivered to me at right. noon because I don't want to make a lunch. When I have an hour-long lunch break, I can just go, oh, I guess I'll walk over to the fridge and make myself a sandwich. <laughs> right. I think or what's amazing is that we're not, we're not commuting. We can telecommute instead of using planes to go across the country. You know, that, and that is just, I mean, I think they've said that since COVID, our, you know, our environment is actually improving because of all this mm-hmm. stuff. Absolutely. And, and, and there are going to be people that have to commute. There are going to be people that absolutely have to do, you know, work, work in a specific space. That's, sure. There's no question about that. But what about all the other people who absolutely don't have to do that? Yeah. I mean, there, there is some effects like, you know, for example, you know, if I'm not working, if I'm not working in an office, then unfortunately I'm not going out and buying lunch somewhere. Right. There are some real effects. But that doesn't necessarily mean that I wouldn't, you know, potentially buy lunch. The reality is that, okay, I might not buy lunch for myself twice a week, but maybe if we're all at home, me and, you know, my spouse and my kids, I might just buy lunch for everybody instead. A bigger lunch. Yeah. Yeah. So that way on my lunch break, all of us can sit around and have lunch together, have a meal around the table like a family. I know that's a crazy concept, right? Isn't that cool? I mean, there are there are ways in which things will change. And some of Everything it for better, changes. some of it for worse. But the thing is, is that if it helps the environment, if it helps people's mental health, if it helps businesses reduce their costs so they can pay their employees more, if it yeah. allows people to have better benefits, if it allows people to be home with their family, I love it. Especially during a trying time like this. Those are all things that COVID has allowed us to relearn. 
And some companies are looking at that and actually going, you know what? This has been healthier for us and our employees. Yeah, just ask Zoom. (laughs) Well, Zoom has enjoyed it for a lot of other reasons, but, I mean, China loves spying on us. Fuck yeah. I mean, I'm just going to, you know, I'm just going to make them have to read out every horrible thing that I say on a Zoom meeting whatsoever. There you go. And they always have TikTok for that anyway. So <laughs> it's amazing watching all these countries banning TikTok. And now Microsoft is actually looking at buying TikTok. Eh, good. But I think, because, we should, I think we should uh, wrap it up with that, maybe. Absolutely. Absolutely. Only because, you know, you have family and... She's on three hours ahead of you. <laughs> you you want to go to sleep, and, and I probably need to actually do dinner. <laughs> right. Now i got to finish uh, finish editing a podcast and then this one tomorrow. So There you go. But man, it's been awesome talking to you. There is so many so many directions that I wanted to go from there, too. <laughs> like this, well, this was actually the beginning of a conversation I wanted to have, so that's so cool. But I love absolutely. the plank conversation that we had, so that's great. Absolutely. And, and to me, you know, knowledge is a quest and, yeah. you know, we, we all should be open to learning about, you know, everything around us. You know, yeah. that's, I think, I think that is one of the things that if there's an old thing that I could bring back, it's that Renaissance idea that you can, you don't have to just be good at one thing. You can learn so many things and actually educate yeah. yourself. I'm just hoping somebody takes this and spins off of on it takes the information we shared and said yeah but <laughs> and grows it even further that would yeah, be great takes an I- it takes an idea that came out of this and goes you know what i know of a way we can do that better right. absolutely you guys you guys were almost there <laughs> and you know what you know what if 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 that is my contribution to society is is that somebody took an idea and improved upon what i said you know i'm happy with that Me too. i I don't care because if we can make it better, let's make it better. Because I think there's, I'll, I'll leave it on this. I think there's a learn uh, education gap. I think poorer people don't know that, that the information is there. And I think to myself, there's a little black kid that doesn't know that he's amazing at string theory. And he finds my podcast on string theory. I listened to it and like I was lost. And then in the last 10 minutes, I was like, oh, I fucking get it. <laughs> right. right. And, and I think with technology now, as if we can make it available to all of those kids out there, yeah. they'll be able to learn things and do things that, you know, as kids, we, all, we never dreamed of. Exactly. That's great talking to you. I hope to talk to you again real soon. We'll, we'll definitely have to do it again soon. Love it. Hi, Jeffrey. <laughs> Auf Wiedersehen. To those who is our time to those who seek peace and security we support you yes we can and to all those who have wondered if america's beacon still burns as bright tonight we prove once more that the true strength of our nation comes not from the might of our arms or the scale of our wealth but from the enduring power of our ideals democracy liberty opportunity and unyielding hope let me tell you something you already know the world ain't all sunshine and rainbow Yes, we can.
Stitcher Smart Radio app, and Spotify. Yes, we can. Public Access America. History in the making. Making history in the making. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. 